Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. All right, what is up, Gypsy Gang? We're back for another episode of the Gypsy Tales podcast, and I'm excited to bring everybody this one. Uh, if you listen to the Stephen Gore podcast, you would have heard us talk about a doctor by the name of David Krizanak, and he is the guy that has been doing the stem cell treatments uh, on Stephen Gall uh, and my dad as well. And since I had my crash a few months ago, um, I've also been going and getting some treatment from him in the form of uh, PRP injections. So uh, it's really cool to be able to potentially help people in the Gypsy Gang that may be dealing with injuries, whether they're new or old. Uh, and I guess didn't know that these kind of treatments were available. Um, we talk about it in the podcast, but the treatments that David has done for my dad have completely restored a quality of life that he thought he'd lost until he uh, basically got a knee replacement. Um, but he was in the situa- situation where he was told that he was too young for one. Um, so yeah, excited to bring this chat. It is very, very in depth in terms of the, uh, background of David as an osteopath, what osteopathy actually is. Uh, and then we get more into the, the kind of treatments that he offers and the theory behind those. So really enjoyed this episode. It was really cool to be able to have a conversation like this. And I definitely took a lot from it. I just got to give a shout out to our sponsors, the legends at MX store. Uh, if you're listening to this, chances are you've probably crashed a dirt bike and in a crash, you're going to need a doctor like David. And you're also going to need to go to mxstore.com.au and you're going to need to buy all the parts that you, uh, that you busted up. Uh, I finally just changed my handlebars that I bent in my crash. Uh, the first day I got my bike, uh, courtesy of the guys at MX store. So, uh, as you well know, this is the one-stop shop. It's our one-stop shop whenever we need anything for our dirt bike parts or accessories wise. Uh, when you need to cover that bike of yours to, uh, you know, cover up all the barbed wire scrapes, that you've got when you run your bike into a fence like I did, uh, you got to head to rivalinkdesignco.com. Uh, the boys are the best in the biz. They're true innovators. The product is second to none. Their style is second to none. Uh, so hit up that website, use the code Gypsy Gang to get yourself 10% off. We're also brought to you by the Glove Lord himself. I mentioned it in the last podcast ads, uh, and I'm probably just going to mention it again, but the mesh gloves that they do, uh, they're by far my favorite glove. Uh, the Breezer, I'm pretty sure it's called. Go on to fisthandwear.com, 
and just check those bad boys out. Uh, I'm pretty sure they've only got the one colorway in those for now, but when the new colorways drop, y'all can freak out. Uh, also, brought to you by Dixon Quality. You can head to dixonquality.com.au. Uh, see if you can get any of the Daryl, even though I'm pretty sure they sold out. Uh, also brought to you by the guys at Cricks Tweed. You can head to crickstweed.com.au or you can give them a call at the dealership. Ask for Kyle. If you buy any new or used vehicle from the guys at Cricks, you are going to go in the draw to win a KTM 2020 450. Uh, yeah, it's a pretty insane deal. So if you are in the market for a new uh, a new car and a new bike as well. Uh, you might get both just by shopping at Crick's Tweed. Uh, and we're also finally brought to you by the guys at Combat Nutrition. Uh, before you go and get your stem cells or PRP treatment off David, uh, just treat your body that little bit extra uh, with a little bit of extra care by taking care of your nutrition pre and post ride. Uh, you can head to cmbt.com.au. That's all for me. Uh, once again, thank you very much to David. I really, really, really enjoyed this podcast. It was really cool to be able to bring you guys something like this. I hope you all get a lot out of it. Um, also, just before I go, uh, go and subscribe to our YouTube channel if you can. Even like It honestly helps even if you just make an account and, uh, and subscribe even if you're not a YouTuber. Um, also, if you love this podcast and you listen a lot and you haven't left an iTunes review, if you could just do that as well, that would help us out. We've been really, um, really up high in the charts lately. I've sort of shared it on Instagram, um, but I think we're up to 16 last week and that was out of all uh, categories of podcasts. Um, so yeah, that was pretty big for us. So reviews will help us stay in those charts and it just brings more people to the podcast. Had two really great months. So really appreciate everybody's support. Uh, and if you want to support any further, you can head to gypsytales.com and buy some new merch. Uh, thanks very much. Enjoy this podcast. It's Croatian. Croatian. Yeah. I was born here. Mum and dad are immigrants come over in the 50s on a, on a sailboat with suitcase, two small children. Couldn't speak a word of English. That's crazy, eh? Can you imagine the just the like the balls that it'd take imagine to do if that? You tried to go and do that, travel another country, mate. Not you haven't got five dollars in your pocket. Nah, you got a family in tow. You have no idea where you're going. You can't speak the language. Unbelievable, eh? Work that one out. Yeah, no, that's that's done and dusted these days. No Google, no internet, no maps. You know what I mean? Like maps on your phone. Well, see, how old are you? Thirty-two. All right. Well, I didn't know what a computer was when well, I was... Pull, pull this one up to you. Well, I didn't know what a computer was, a computer was until I was about 25, 27. Yeah, right. Went through university, didn't know what a mobile phone was. Used to have a beeper. Yeah. That was our form of communication. It beeped and you went to a public phone and made a phone call. So is it better now than it was then? Or would you, like, where would you go? It's all different. Just different. Not better or worse, but different. I wouldn't know any other way because... Mm. Um, it's different for me because I'm in at transition mm. of not knowing, not having. When we went through university, like my son's following me now, and everything he's got is online in a computer. Mm. I said, when we studied, we didn't have Google. 
we didn't have to look up this. I said, I had a table like this mm. and I had books out in front of me. And I went from book to book to book to book looking for the answers. Mm. I didn't type in a word and search and Google was a search engine. It was clever enough to go and pick the topics and find mm. what you needed and then, oh, there's the information. I used to spend two hours just looking for something sometimes. Yeah. And what sort of, like, it obviously changes. There's something that changes there. Like, is there a skill set that you would have acquired that wouldn't be acquired in the same way today? And then it's like, if you offset that versus, like, are those skills worth more than the potential knowledge that, that you could have access to by just having it at your fingertips? It's different because this, and this is the way I explain it to him, what happens today, and, and we're seeing that because we'll get into mm. what I do, how I do the profession, history of the profession, where it's come from, how we've ended up where we are, all those things. What I say to him is, because he says to me, I come come to you with a question and you know the answer. Mm. He goes, how do you know that? And I go, because when we trained, right, we didn't get a question. We then didn't go and search that question through a search engine and you were then tunneled into topics on that question mm. I said we pulled out literature or books so my reading was vast mm. so as I was searching for something I used to come across lots of other things and sometimes I would come across something that interested me so I would travel that path mm. and I would read that path I go that's interesting but then I would come back to the path that I had to get on so what then happened down the track is I use the term, we accumulate knowledge. Mm. And we accumulate knowledge because our experience with looking into things gets broader. Mm. So what then happened is that I would then get asked a question and I go, I remember that because I was taken on that path before I was led back to where I had to go to find an answer that I needed. Mm. So I think our, our, our knowledge base was broader because of the way that we were trained and the way that we were taught to be trained. Mm. That's the big difference today. So I see students coming out today and their skill set is limited, yeah. their knowledge base is limited. And people say, why do I think that is? Everything's changed. Institutions are different. Yeah, Institutions aren't there to teach anymore. They're, they're, a, they're a facility to, 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 to generate a shareholder, to generate mm. an income. And, yeah. and that's what it comes down to. So. The whole thing's changed and how would I change it? I haven't got an answer for that. Yeah, because it's like it's Pandora's box. Like mm. you can't just un once once you like have something at your disposal and you know that it's there, you mm. can't unhave that thing. Mm. And it's even hard being a teacher. Mm. A great example is I've got you know, hey, bring this time a bit closer. There's a there's a university close by to us. So we ran a um they ran what they call a, a master's workshop or something uh, such. I can't remember what it was called. So I said, look, I'll come down and you know, donate half of my day and I'll take you know, the final year guys and we'll just, they can just quiz me. Mm. Pick a topic on what they're unsure of and we'll go. I don't have an agenda. I, I don't come there with the script or what I'm going to lecture them on. I come there and I say, guys, you're going to take me where we want to go mm. and I'll just explore that knowledge base with you so they got a lot out of it so we approached the university and we said look there's three practitioners in my office accumulated experience of probably about 
70 years of practice. So we've each been in practice for 20, 25 years. Yeah. We're happy to donate our time, you know, pick one day, let's say one day a month, one day every three months, um, and we'll just come in and let's just work with the students. We never heard back from the university. And when we followed up, they told us that it wouldn't work because we don't understand the system. Mm. So um, I think one of the things that it's been something I've spoken about a couple of times on, on here when like people talk about, you know, like the rules and the way that, you know, the kind of society is at the moment mm. and the things that are happening and it's like it doesn't make sense and this and that doesn't make sense. And the thing that I keep coming back to in my head is that a system kind of doesn't really care about anything else above being a, like staying a system. Like it's kind of, that seems like it is mm. just the objective function. It's like, yes, a system could be better, but that's not the primary goal of the system mm. because that, that would mean that it could be made improved. It could be so, which could then constitute like the complete destruction of the system to build a new one. Yeah. And that would then seem counterproductive to the original system so everyone's trying to get somewhere faster quicker more efficiently mm. so gone are the days when it was a painstaking journey to accumulate mm. the knowledge once upon a time you did apprenticeships you did apprenticeships because that length of time you accumulated yeah that amount of knowledge today it happens differently so i'm uh with the jujitsu stuff that i do it's such a i think there's so many great analogies inside of jiu-jitsu and and that sort of is one of them like you, there's this belt system and it's not dependent on how many techniques you know or this mm. or that it's just there is this thing that is ingrained in that system that it just takes 10 years it doesn't like it doesn't matter how many things you know or you don't know but in 10 years of just like doing the things that you're told to do within mm -hmm. jiu-jitsu in 10 years you will reach a black belt level and it's like you know there are some people that can kind of get there quicker but for the majority of people unless you're this like kind of weird outlier that just rings true mm -hmm. and i think that yeah, it's like pe people get frustrated at it and people are like, well, I can know this much and what if I know this and what if I know that? But it's just, it's so unwavering and like, no, it takes this long. And it, it's like, it's because there's these like infinite intricacies in it. And it's like, you can't just, just knowing something to be like, this is a technique that you could recite to me, A, B, C, D. Just because you know that thing, it doesn't mean that you understand the intricacies. And there is just this, process that it takes this long and there, there just isn't shortcuts around it and that applies to anything yeah but people don't do that as much these days do they they're, they're not willing to invest in that same process um, we're all in a hurry to get to mm. somewhere um, and the example comes back to the teaching institution i went through mm. so my son's following me through that teaching institution and he comes back and he talked to me about his experience and I said, well, it, it is different. And I said, and then I try to explain why it's different. And I said to him, it's hard because you can't look at the teacher and say they're a bad teacher or they don't, the teacher mm. doesn't know because the teacher only knows what he's been taught. Yeah, it's a product of the system. So then what we see happening is that as that teacher has traveled through a with a student, they've been right, given 
a set of principles, a knowledge base. They've gone out to try and apply that. They've found it a little bit of a struggle and find it hard to get ahead. Mm. So they've gone back into the teaching system. Yeah. So now they've come back in to teach a watered-down version of what they've been taught, which is now a more watered-down version. Mm. So the the battle's always there, and it's getting harder and harder. Mm. And I, I, you know, I I hear the you know the discussions that I have with my son when he comes home, and I just again I explain to him that's the reality of it. I said it's just a watered-down system, mm. and I said it's not what it used to be, and I think a lot of what we had the essence of it as is diminished yeah and i think that though like the same principles that you applied to your own learning like mm. that still exists like your son could still go and get those textbooks and get a table this oh, yeah. size so the thing that it you could look at it as a problem but that's if you only thought that that's where you could get learning from and i think that then it almost breeds more opportunity because if you're a person that can realize the shortcomings in whatever Mm. system that you're involved in then you can go outside of that system you know you can still participate in it and get the degrees but then if you are willing to go outside of the system and do your own Mm. work then you're going to be at this like like a a big advantage over the person that doesn't you're right the problem with that is you've got to be taken to the doorway Mm. if you're not shown the doorway because you don't know what you don't know yeah so if you're not shown the doorway you don't actually have a doorway that you can go through Mm. so you keep it in the wall so and i've done that i've sat it all down i said here it is Mm. that's how i i did it and he goes through some stuff he says he's third going into fourth year he says i've never even heard Mm. of some of these things it must be disappointing at time, you know to feel like you've been I don't know like not like gypped but it's like the system isn't set up the way that it no, could be I don't because I understand that's that's how it is mm. yeah, my time my time is going to come and go and you know the, the next generation moves in as the next generation moves in we can all have a discussion we can all talk about it and I'm, I'm happy to have a discussion about it and mm. um, if you ask me you know how to fix it I said, I wouldn't even envy the task of trying to fix it. And I've talked to some of the lecturers who teach. And I say, I don't, en- I don't envy your position because it is such a hard position mm. that it's easy for us on the outside to criticize what everyone should do. Mm. But until they're in there with you, do they actually see the battle that you have mm. with what you have to contend with to actually get even that information out? So. I, as I said, I, I don't envy it. I just have, I, I travel the road I travel and it's about not for me. That's, you know, a resider. That's about the best I can do. Mm. It's, um, it, it is, or it, it is always very obvious to me. So you've treated me a couple of times now for the injury that I got mm. in my crash. And it's so obvious, like the depth of knowledge that you have and, you know, when you've got the ultrasound um, over certain places and you can identify the exact arteries and you can identify the the muscles, the tendon, everything. Like it, it's, I think that it could be real easy to like look at that and not appreciate the depth of understanding mm. there because it's like, if let's say I walk in and it's you're, you're doing the same areas on the same sort of people every single time, it's like, okay, well, it wouldn't be that hard to, 
remember all of the things that you said to me in You're that right. thing but then if you extrapolate to all of the people male and female old and young fat and skinny healthy and unhealthy there's just this insane depth to knowledge and it, it is extremely obvious and that to achieve that level of understanding in anything let alone something that is you know inside the human body that you're looking through with an instrument like it is nothing short of remarkable what you know people are capable when it comes to you know like knowledge and the gathering of knowledge yes and no um as you do it more you start to read between the lines Mm. when people come in and they talk to you you don't listen to their words you listen to what they're saying between the lines. Mm. So that's the skill set you start to hear because they're telling you what's happening in their own in And their what own would words. be like an example of that, you think? Well, it's hard to give an example because everyone's specific to something. Yeah. But someone will come and present with something. And on one side, you know, here we are, we're scientifically minded, we work with the science. And on the other side, they're the lay person. My experience is and someone um, who you know trained me and taught me very well said if you stop and listen and let them speak they will tell you what the problem is in their own words but you've got to listen to their words because the the answer won't be the word the answer will be between the word or between the lines of what they're trying to tell you Mm. and they will take you there and then you'll go something will click and you go okay I think I know what's happening and then you travel the road and then as you said when we start to do an assessment or an examination you're actually looking between the lines at the subtleties we look at normal so often that abnormal stands out Mm. stands out and people maybe come in and are in a little divorce thinking wow how do you what do you and you're right it's accumulation of knowledge and it's painstakingly you know learning it however as I talk to many a student who come through our door who want to come and watch, come and observe, and I explain to them at the end, they they walk out and they think, God, you know, this is... Yeah, it's daunting. It is. And I say to them the simple words that the only difference between me and you is I've put my hands on more people. Mm. And I said, that's all it is. And I said, if you can remember that, that as time will go on, as you start to... You'll, you'll gather that and you accumulate that knowledge. That's what it comes down to. The word is experience. Um, there's a little bit of wisdom in that. Um, um, you'll have many failures. And I still remember a lecturer some time ago. I went and um, um, visited. Oh, I attended one of his lectures. And at the end of the lecture, I went, that's the person I've got to go and spend time with. Mm. And the reason was he got up and his first words were, he says, look, I know, you know I've written articles, I've done this, I've done that, you know, that I've researched this a lot. And he said, I'm not going to hear talk to you about all of my great success stories. He said, I'm going to tell you about all those ones that I've failed because they're the ones that continually haunt me today why I failed. Mm. And I went, that's the person I'm going to learn something from because that's the way, they're the ones that teach you things. Yeah. Yeah, they're obviously like the ones that are the most realistic about what it is they do. Very much so. So if we, I suppose if we track back a little bit, uh, to probably have a discussion about what I actually do, yeah, the history of it, where it's come from, what it is, may give you a little bit more, you know, a better sense because um, we haven't even touched on 
you know, yeah. I suppose my my basic title. So my basic title, you know, is as um, an osteopath, an osteopathic practitioner. So what that is, it's just someone who looks at the aspect of muscular skeletal medicine. Yeah, that's really what it comes down to. How do we treat it? Generally, in this country, at an undergraduate level, it's a hands-on physical therapy which you actually are taught a set of principles, um, a diagnostic criteria that you apply. There's a, um, a philosophy to the practice that we use and then we access the body system using the various different models that we've been taught to address a person's problem. Yeah. Um, we do have a scope of practice. Um, for me, my scope is very narrow now. Um, and that's only because I have transitioned. You're more of like a specialist in a, in an area or like it's like your chosen sort I, of lane. I don't like to probably call myself a specialist because now as, as osteopathy in this country, um, we're considered allied, allied, allied health practitioners. So that in this, in this country is we're tier below the medical system. So mm. the medical system has, you know, rides the high tier that they assume supremacy that you know um, they rule the roost so to speak and we are you know the the underlings and wherever we're actually in some instances even discounted to actually have any relevance yeah but that, that's okay we have to understand how the whole system of, 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 of any sort of medicine works right so when we then um, discuss osteopathy in this country and I say in this country because in the US where the history of osteopathy comes from it's different in the US you have what they call DOs doctors of osteopathy and MDs medical doctors they're on par so what has happened is that that um, practice of medicine in the US which came out to Australia um, changed because practitioners here or osteopaths that came out in the early 20s and 30s would not be granted full practice rights. So what then happened is that osteopathy there, it was the, the focus was still musculoskeletal medicine. So we, we, will, we will touch on the history of it. Um, they then progressed just to treat musculoskeletal problems. They weren't medical back doctors, so you know they didn't have prescription rights. They uh, their their rights in the medical system were limited. Is that essentially what a doctor is? Is that you have it just grants you like a certain level of rights within a medical system? Yes. Yeah, because I, I guess I'd never even really understood the technical mm. definition of what a doctor is. So uh, that's it. So if we look up the the, the title of doctor in the Oxford Dictionary. Um, and it's been a while since I have, but if we looked up the title, it's anyone trained in the art of medicine, which includes um, medical practitioners, veterinaries, veterinary science or veterinary surgeons and osteopathic practitioners. But that's because it's the Oxford Dictionary written on the basis of what the US model is. Mm. So then osteopathy just, it, it did transcend from the US and it, you know, it, it'd go over the border. It came into Australia. It's gone into the UK and it is... Um, um, making its way around the world as, as a bigger presence in the scientific community. So if we then go back to uh, the, the essence of where the science of osteopathy came from, 
um, back in the 1870, I think it's about 1872, a gentleman by the name of A.T. Still. He was, we call him like the grandfather of osteopathy or the uh, the founder of osteopathy. He was actually a, a civil, what do they call it? Um, a surgeon in the Civil War. Oh, okay. So he was actually a, a, a medical, trained medical person who was a surgeon in the Civil War. What happened with him is the war finished, he came home, three children he had um, caught, passed, died from spinal meningitis. Oh, right. He was beside himself because his system of medicine couldn't help him. Mm. And then he started to then review his thought process as to what is there that I could have done that may have changed the outcome. Mm. Hence the art of osteopathy or the science of osteopathy began. Yeah, right. So hence in the US system, and I'm not that au fait with it, but I understand the basis of it, is um, there was a a bit of a, a tug and war between the allopathic well, that's the wrong word. Allopathic means, you know, MDs or DOs. But where the MDs, again, wanted to take the DOs and rule the science of osteopathy out because in the schools of osteopathic medicine, and that's what they're called in the US, you are taught the concept of medicine, similar to what you would be here, but you're then also taught the basic principles of osteopathic medicine in relation to musculoskeletal approach as was... Um, taught by the founder of Still, who then went on to pass that knowledge down. Yeah, turned it into like a stimulus. Uh, so, uh, uh, and then others, yeah, and then yeah. others came along. So there's a lineage. Yeah, there's a lineage of people who then developed the concept, yeah. and hence that's a little bit of the essence of where osteopathy yeah. comes from. So, and so what would be like the the philosophies within the the system of uh, of osteopathy? osteopathy. I'll use this definitely. Sometimes when I ask a question, sometimes I say to people, you've got to sort of go back to the history and you'll find your answer. So if we... um, There are a basic set of principles in osteopathic medicine, just like there are in allopathic medicine. We we may touch on those and, 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 and we'll see that even though they are... A similarity there there is a little bit of an interference in what they say and actually what they do but we may touch on that so if we go back and then coin the term osteopathy where it comes from and the definition of osteopathy and this is an unfortunate one because i even ask students this question they don't know mm, that are practicing osteopathy yeah they don't know and this is the simple basis because I, I try to keep it simple for the general person just because people ask me the question so Mm. what's the difference between you and you and you and this person this person and the answer is is the training our education the way we're trained um, some of the ways that we're trained and what we're taught and i said but the essence is the basic principles of practice and the, the the philosophy of what osteopathy is about so now if we go back a step in to break down the word osteopathy this is where the essence of it sort of comes from. So if we take the first component of it as osteo. Osteo, the Latin meaning of it, um, bone or hardness. So what what Still talked about there was he took the word or coined the word osteopathy as osteo as he put his hands on someone. The first thing he felt was the skin. From the skin, he could feel the different parts of the tissue and he could feel the bony hardness. So he was accessing 
from the outside within using a palpatory sense. The next word, pathy, or now if we really, you know, they talk about pathy pathology as in disease, but if we go back into the Latin derivation, pathy or pathione is actually meaning to access someone's suffering. Mm. So the, the term was coined from putting your hands on to access an anatomical field. Now, whether it's connective tissue, fluid, joint, mm. fascia, or bone, to actually change a pattern of function in changing the way you're influencing a person's suffering. Mm. That is a simple broad... And then so pathy, even in like the sense of like empathy, like, in, you know... I, I, um, I don't think so. No, the word empathy and pathic, I think... But is, is there a similar meaning in that? Well, we can have... The em- way like with, you know, without suffering sort of thing? The We can probably have an open-ended discussion as you know many practitioners would probably touch on that mm. i probably wouldn't because i don't think it was um meant for that yeah 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 right. compassion's not your motivation it's no. just and, and sure you have empathy for everyone yeah yeah right you have empathy for when you're driving down the street and you see a poor person who's who's you know living in a homeless shelter well you've got empathy for the guy because he's got nothing mm. but it still doesn't mean that that's where yeah, yeah. So uh, I'm trying to be more probably specific as to where the history comes from. Yeah. So from that, we are then taught, you know, something we talk about as indirect techniques, direct action techniques, a functional technique. And um, in that, there is the, um, the spirit or the essence of the person. So you're also accessing that. So then that's a little bit more of the, um, I suppose, we can call it the spirit, spirituality, spirit, spirituality, spirit, like spirituality. Yeah, probably that's probably the yeah. uh, the better word that we'd use in, in the science of it. Yeah, but there is a science connected to it as well, because within that, how we do that now is the vehicle we use. The vehicle is whether we use a direct action manipulative technique, or indirection soft tissue technique, or do we do a fluid technique where we're actually applying now the set of principles. Those set of principles are to decrease tissue tension, increase range of motion, improve blood supply, to enhance right, the dynamic right, therapeutic process of what the body can do. Mm. So that's what we're accessing. So that's a vehicle from an osteopathic principle. With that, we would also coin a term that I use a fair bit, is minimum input for a maximum effect and do the person no harm. Mm. Right? That is a mantra that is practiced you know, within the concept of what osteopathic medicine is. And they talk about allopathic medicine. So people, um, and I don't, you know, we talk about the medical system. We all have our place and do we have, and it's, it's a pretty marvelous system. So too many people get you know, frustrated with the system because it is overloaded. Mm. And they will quickly run down you know, the, the manual practitioners of how efficient they are. Well, they're not, um, in my opinion, because their set of principles are, are very similar, but they're accessing the same thing using a different vehicle. Their, their vehicle they use is, and the, the, the tool that they have is prescription medicine. Yeah. So if we now look at on two scales, we have, uh, and I have to be fair, you know, we're not, I'm, I'm not bringing in, you know, the concept of physiotherapy. I'm not thinking, because all those, guys have um you know a, a great 
a great role to play and there are some very, very good people out there. But I don't talk about them because I don't exactly get into understanding the history of where it comes from. Mm. So I don't discuss... Yeah, you're just staying in your lane because it's the area that I can tell you exactly what I do, how I do it, why I do it, and what it's about and where it's come from. And I said, I can have a brief discussion about the others, but I'm not going to do it justice because I don't know enough. Yeah. So... And and I and I'll and I'll say that straight up. So when I talk about you know our system and the medical system, as I said, we're just using a different vehicle mm. to try to get to right do what we want to do for the patient. That's what we yeah. call is a generator therapeutic process. Yeah. Right. So if we then you know touch on a little bit about how I do it and what you've seen that I do, it's just a transition. Mm. So. And when when you we, we talked about the term before, as in you know my specialised, I don't see myself that way. I see myself that I've now just shifted my scope a little bit to then focus on using a different type of vehicle to apply the same set of principles that I've been taught mm. at an undergraduate level. Because when someone comes in, there is many ways to approach. A person's problem i don't have all the right answers none of us will but i think in many instances there is a writer and maybe not so right away i don't think there's ever a wrong way mm. um, and as i always say um you know when someone's coming up with a train of thought or a model any sort of model in and when i say a model uh, um, a model not as in a, a car, car model. Yeah. it's a it's a model of thinking where yeah. if someone's presenting with a certain problem and someone's got um, an idea of how they're going to approach this. If the thinking sound, right, the models, the models good, but a model's never wrong. I think someone always come will come in and refine the model mm. and make the fine uh, the model a little bit sharper and more acute as to changing its direction. So that's how I would probably look at you know more of what I do. So it's just essentially like a narrowed focus yes. but into the there's a wide scope but you're applying a narrowed focus mm. with the principles of that wider scope. Good. So if we if we now get into a little bit more specific about my role as what I do in the realms of osteopathic practice I'm in this country I'm probably a unique practitioner. I'm only a unique practitioner because of the extra training that I've done to get to what I do. Now, when we talk about the training, so we don't leave you know um, sentences open, which is, well, what sort of training, is um, I've gone from using what we call a structural model. A structural model is the manipulative techniques, and I've, you know, I've been in practice for 25 plus years. That's what I came out with an undergraduate model. I was given mm. a set of principles, taught a certain way of practice, a diagnosis, and I said, they were like, here you are. And there are, some of those tools are some of the most powerful therapeutic tools when they're used by the right person in the right instance for... The right person. Yes. And I and still argue that point with anyone today. Um, used indis- indiscriminately, used, uh, can, can create problems, yes. Mm. And I think that is what you know, we will see other schools of thought may contribute to that, um, you know, alleviate that as being, you know, something being dangerous. Well, anything's dangerous when it's done by someone who's not trained adequately properly. It's not delivered by the right person in the right manner for the right reason mm. with all the right information in hand. 
anyone's dangerous. Well, you can. It's like I say that you can build a house with a hammer, or you can hit somebody in the head with a hammer. Mm. Yeah, it's the hammer. The hammer is just a hammer. Mm. So, going on to then my little transition. You know, I worked on that structure in that structural model, and and this is also a little bit of what people see that come in and watch me is. And, and I'll get to when I say watch me. So now I use more or less interventional approaches. The interventional approaches is, as you talked about, is ultrasound guidance, interventional, and they're injectable procedures. And we, we can touch on when we talk about injectable because it's not something that's just done ad hoc, blindly, mm. at a whim. There, there's a, a bit of thought that goes into how, what we use, why we use it, and we, we, we can touch on that too. So I've come from a structural model. I've learnt the basics, biomechanics. Um, again, one of the basic principles of osteopathy, and uh, probably not really the right word, principles, but a premise of osteopathy that I was taught as um, a little old lady, if she knew I called her a little old lady, wow, she'd, she'd, she'd have you. Um, her name was Viola Fryman. So she's an American DO, um, a very, very well-revered and regarded practitioner, and I, went, I attended one of her lectures in, in the US and I remember her up the front, you know, asking the question. And when she'd ask a question, then she was in her 70s. She was a little frail lady. When she would ask a pe- question, people would duck their head and they would think, oh, no, please don't look at me. Don't ask me because she had an ability to just pull you apart. Mm. And and there were people half her age who were, you know, very well revered as well would say, mate, she frightened me mm. because the depth of knowledge that she had was like was, second to none was scary mm. anyway the the simple thing she said is the premise of osteopathy is three things anatomy anatomy and anatomy mm. and that was it so understand that apply the basic principles there's a technique that 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 you are taught there are with those techniques is a set of principles that you use which what you're trying to achieve and there you know an outcome will mm present is the problem of it um of like any i guess any medical practitioner is just like what you're trying to fix with the principles that you have like Mm. i feel like a lot of people like some of the problems arise when someone's taking like a round peg square hole kind of thing it's like you know if you have these principles and these are you know you go back through the history of like this is what it was used Mm. for this this is what we can and will treat then it's like problems really can't arise if you're, you know, not making false claims about what you can actually treat with like a given practice, right? That's right. And, and that's a good example because I've been that person where someone has presented and I've treated them with an early set of principles that I had and a, and a treatment approach. And the outcome wasn't a desired outcome. And why? My thinking was right. My diagnosis was still right. But the vehicle that I used... I didn't have a skill set to understand that a different vehicle is required to access their problem. And, and, and I'll get to what I mean by that uh, shortly. So when we, we, we talk about a simple structural model, a simple structural model is watching how a, bunk, a body biomechanically works. Mm. How when someone strains their ankle, turns their ankle, how that strain in their ankle, that ankle bone will affect the knee, the hip, the lumbar spine, the neck, or how someone's sprain their ankle and all of a sudden they have over time accumulated headaches Mm. 
Okay. So that's the biomechanic principles because we're a set of fulcrums and levers. Yeah. Full stop. We're a set of fulcrums and levers. The anatomy is connected. Another discussion is to get into the embryology, but that's probably maybe maybe beyond today. But if we touch on it, we may. Um, so that's the first set. So you're looking at biomechanically how we work. The second one is the function, the tissues put together. Those tissues, connective tissues, they hold the fulcrums together. So those fulcrums then dance together. Then there's a glad wrap that wraps the whole thing together. That's the fascia. It's ubiquitous. It's everywhere. Within that, it controls the posture. It protects the organs. It, 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 it guides blood flow, all those things. So it's one unit of function mm. that is trying to work. And when that unit of function becomes disorganized, dysfunctional, in osteopathic language, it's a somatic dysfunction, problem will, problem will arise whether it's a musculoskeletal problem, whether it's a vascular problem, whether it's an organ problem, digestive problem, because we are all connected mm. in certain ways in the way that the dynamic of, you know, mechanically, biomechanically, functionally, uh, neurally to chemically how we work. All right. So you don't, when we come out, we've got a certain set of skill sets that we can target some, but we can't really mm. turn some of the others around. Yeah. So then we have something we call a functional approach, which where it's not such a direct action technique. We're actually using and accessing. Um, I'll, I'll try and be very simple because it can be confusing without explaining it in depth. Mm. But then as I start to talk about something, I've got to go and then explain something. And then all of a sudden we... Yeah, yeah, you just keep going down and down and down. We yeah. go. Yeah. So it's basically using a technique where we, we just balance tissue tension out. Right. It's not a direct action. It's more of a function where you take something to a position of ease. As it has a position of ease, the neural reflexes reset and the tissues reorganize. Yeah. We haven't come in and hit it with a hammer. We've sat there and we've sat there and let it come to rest. And there is an innate ability of the body to uh, to do its thing. Where the innate component comes from is probably another discussion of embryology. Mm. Okay, so the embryology is the essence of who we are, where we've come from, how the sperm and the ovum come together um, in, in, in osteopathic thinking. And not only um, osteopaths, but in embryological thinking, it's not a coincidence how the sperm and the egg comes together. So you've got how many sperm? Yeah, a lot. How many eggs? One. Right. That, spin, that, that egg is uh, spinning on its rotational axis. The little doorway has to open. That one little sperm in that doorway, all right, doesn't just happen by fluke chance. It's an ordered sequence of events that's perfectly polarized and organized for it to happen. There's a spark that happens. Mm. Spark is the life. The ignition process starts. The right, We develop. The interesting thing is we start as perfect form first. The structure hasn't come along. How, how do you mean that? Well, the perfect form is when the egg is... Mm. Egg, the the ovum and the sperm have come together. Yeah, at that exact moment there, right. all there is is just like the well, spark the first of life. Five or seven week, first five or seven weeks of embryonic life is your cells just dividing, mm. right? You're just a fluid body. There's no form in it. Yeah. There's no structure. So when it comes together, the bones, the hands and things, they haven't formed yet. Mm. The essence of it is there. The blueprint, we call it the notochord of how the spinal cord and how this all now starts to originate, comes from. 
Mm. So then when we, 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 we travel back a little bit is that when someone hurts their ankle or their leg, there's a strain that's set in. There's a strain pattern not only in the bone but in the connective tissue field. So when people are busy cranking the bone around, they forget that the bone came second. Yeah. The form and the function was there first. Yeah. Right. So um, without getting too... Metaphysical, yeah. Yeah, all right, too far into that the essence of the, of the person has actually arrived. So it's like symptom and cause. Like you can't just treat uh, or look at a symptom like there was a cause to, to create a symptom, like mm. in simple terms. Yes. So, so we need to go back to the cause as opposed to pushing on a symptom and very, expecting the cause to change. Very good. Yeah. Right, so, so this is where we are in some of the aspects of what we do and how we taught from a basic undergraduate level is that we're actually looking at the essence of the person. Mm. So someone comes to see me and uh, not just me, but this is again, you know, I'm talking globally about how I've been trained. So in, in that, um, how I've been trained, I, I probably talk as, as a, for a collective group mm. yeah. of, of, of how, how we apply things. People come in and go, well, that's, that's where my pain is. Why are you doing what you're doing? Mm. And I go, well, I can understand. I go, let me just go through the process. I said, because I'm not just treating your knee or your shoulder. I'm actually treating you. Mm. That's the difference. Yeah. Right. So here we have one of the basic principles of osteopathy is the body is a unit of function. Yeah. And that's one thing with, with my own personal experience of like the stretching and the trigger point therapy stuff that I do at home. I, I understand that a lot of it I'm treating exactly what I just said, like kind of mm. I'm treating symptom. Uh, I don't think that with those, just those things, you have the ability to get all the way at the cause. But that's given me a very clear understanding that, you know, for instance, like tightness in my chest doesn't necessarily present as a symptom, but the pain in my back of my shoulder does present as a symptom but i'm aware that if i work on the the tightness in the chest the the pain in the shoulder and the back of the shoulder goes away so like mm. i am definitely through my own experience i'm aware that that is the case that just because you know something you might want to treat something somewhere else um doesn't mean that it isn't going to affect the area that i've presented as painful good but doing that is also uh, not incorrect so people doing all those things and all those various practitioners that are treating those myofascial trigger points, that are treating all those points of reflex, they're all doing a great job because what our body does for us every day is looks after us and we call that a common compensatory pattern. It's accommodating and compensating its whole time. It's stealing function from somewhere to give to somewhere else. It's stealing mm. to maintain structure. And it's doing that without you even knowing 100%. what's going on. What happens is someone turns up in our office when that compensatory pattern breaks down. Yeah. So your system's ability to... To compensate. Or to do its yeah. dance for you has been interrupted. All of a sudden it said, sorry, sorry, I actually need a little bit of help with this now. Mm. That's the reason someone would present. So, you know, people... People come into my office and they say, well, I've heard you do this, 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 this. I thought, I'd, you, know, I, I, you know, can you just come and check me out? Do I need any treatment? I mean, do you have any problems? No. Mm -hmm. You think you do all right? I go, yeah. I go, what are you doing here? Yeah. Oh, you know, but when I do, open the door here, just if you need something. Come back if you need something. Yeah. Yeah. Because, like I say, your system's doing fine for you. 
You don't need me intruding because I'm going to come and prod and push and poke. Your system's going to look at me and go, what the hell is this lunatic here doing, pushing and prodding me? I'm doing all right. Can someone tell him I'm, everything's all right here? Yeah. All right. That's how we're put together. Yeah. So, you know, having that understanding, and, and, and I do that a lot, is that you try to explain to him, you're doing all right. Things will happen. Don't panic. Mm. Right? Your body has the ability to get better. When it doesn't, hey, we need a bit of help. Yeah. And that's with any aspect of you know medicine that we want to talk about the body has an ability to get better when it doesn't hate okay we need a bit of help now let's and find sometimes them. that might take drugs sometimes Good. that that might take manipulation sometimes that might take injections sometimes that might just take sometimes it may take all of them yeah right so then that's you've summed it up perfectly which was that we all have a place mm. right and i don't discount anyone or anything um, however, there are, there are times that I go, well, yeah, I can understand the thinking, but you know what? There's maybe something else that need a little bit more help before that can kick in and, mm. and, and, and do its thing for you. Yeah. All right. So that's, you, you're right, we've touched on that. So then getting back a little bit you know, to the specific you know, practice that we talked about, um, for me then, the knowledge of anatomy, right, biomechanics, the functional component of how I put together to work, and then all of a sudden... What happened with me, and I, I, I touched on, um, was involved in a sporting team, went over to Europe, was involved in the Tour de France for a while, and I, and I met a, a German orthopedist, and he was with the team. He used an injectable approach, and this was me now. A, a German guy? A German, yep. Yeah, so they Germany were like world leaders in, in st- this stuff. But like in They still are in a lot of energy medicine. Yeah, okay. Right. There's stuff that, you know, over there goes on that 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 here is frowned upon and it's a wonderful system of medicine because yeah. it's been around for a long time and a lot of people a lot of riders go to germany when they get serious injuries like mm. torn ligaments and stuff like Good. that and a lot of basketball players like a lot of big big athletes go to germany for this mm. kind of stuff that's right yeah so in in the time was I was, when i was there this person was treating these riders with um, injectables and I was like this is interesting so now when we talk about the concept of an injectable and what we're going to do is we'll, we'll touch on that because in the medical system we have drugs S4 drugs right? that's that's their other vehicle if they can't give something orally well let's inject it mm. again it's powerful it's got morphine works when injected well, <laughs> you can't deny that don't know. When, when you need help yeah. I say to people you need help my attitude is and people come into my office and they say, look, you know, I'm trying this. I say, look, if I'm going to war, do you want to go to war with a pop gun or a tank? Yeah, yeah. I go, because me, I'm going to go and walk into the biggest, baddest, strongest tank. Taking that. And that's the one I'm going in. You want the pop gun? You're more than welcome to it. So what do you want to do? They go, okay, give me the tank. Yeah. I go, it's a simple. Yeah, makes sense. Right. So that's how I approach it for you know, people, and it's not about I don't want this, I don't want that. I, I like go, that approach. I go, you know what? It's not about what you want and what you think. It's about what is most appropriate and what I think you need, or someone thinks you need. That's going to resolve this in the yeah. best way you can. Yeah. So, anyway, getting back to the story, there we I started watching this person, and he was using a product called Tremil, which is a homeopathic anti-inflammatory. So, again, I'm not um, a homeopath. I have a basic understanding. It's more of a bioenergy medicine. What homeopathy is about, you know, the concept of, you know, you 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 
with all due respect to if anyone listens who hears it and is not is a homeopath, it's like treats like. So if you if you've got something that triggers a response, let's say arsenic that triggers a certain set of symptoms, they what they do to treat that is give a low, 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 absolutely low mm. attenuated version of that to actually change the frequency of the vibration in the tissue. So when we talk about vibration of tissue and bioelectric fields, that we'll get to that when we start talking a bit about right regenerative medicine. Yeah. All right. Just what we're doing there and how that touches on things. So um, that's what Tremiel is. So it's a, it's a naturally occurring anti-inflammatory. And does that recur in our blood? Um, no, that one Tremiel. No, it's just it's it's just it's manufactured at such low low concentrations yeah. from different um, um, I think chemicals minerals. Uh, different things from you know you, you can have uh, magnesium phosphates then chlorides all those various components within the homeopathic makeup yeah okay right? so it's taken anti-inflammatory components and it's taken small small essence of those anti-inflammatory components to make up uh, a subtle um, vial or solution which it was called Tremiel that if you I, I think if you put it through a spectrometer you'd probably find it's negligent or nothing in there but there's enough in there to change the the, the frequency of, like of, the body's response to, to it yeah. so if you've got a sinus, sinusoidal curve which is working when you access this what it does is it inverts the curve it negates it so you no longer have a curve you actually now have a flat line which means that uh, yeah, yeah, right? yeah. you've changed so the like frequency. two waves clashing together to, yeah. Yeah. the basic principle yeah, of it yeah yeah that was one, and the other one he was using was Activegan, and he had vials of this stuff in his bag. Activegan was deprotonized bovine blood plasma. Yeah, right. Right. So this is this is now interesting because um, he knew about the 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 um, the essence of um, the bovine blood plasma, but it was deprotonized, so the growth factors were taken out, but it still had you know, components in there which had a stimulatory effect on repairing connective tissue. And was that bovine as in like cow blood? Yep. Yeah, right. So the interesting thing is the, the, the product was manufactured by a Swiss company. The calves or cows were grown in South Australia. They were harvested in South Australia about, up to about six weeks of age. I'm pretty sure this is the history as I was, yeah, I was yeah. told it. Then, then the blood was taken back to Sweden where it was um, treated the cells and different things were harvested deprotonized and it was done because that was the era i think probably about early 2000s mad cow disease was australia never had it yeah so that's uh, where that's why they took mm. the cows from here and the worst case scenario using active vegan or um um Tremil, adverse effects none mm. worst case scenario nothing happens it wasn't yeah ne- needle stick flare yeah yeah and he used to like just I watched him treat and I was a little bit annoyed. At the same time, he would watch me do some stuff mechanically. And he was intrigued about the mechanical side of things because he's come from a German, German ortho, orthopedic side, which is the German medical system of understanding the, the joints, but not, not that well-versed in the biomechanics of different things. Yeah. So we shared ideas and I got interested involved in what he was doing in treating connective tissue problems on a cellular level and so what exactly was he trying to do like aid in recovery yes yeah so 
Um, there, riders, you know, a week or ten days into a ride, yeah. 20, 20, 20 odd stages. It's a it's a tough ride. These guys were you know developing you know tendonotic problem, tendonitis, just mm. just repetitive strain injuries. Yeah, and he was just treating it. And then so just injecting directly mm. into the site, like yep. the trauma site. Yep, that was it, and that's that was his form of treatment. And like you mentioned, um, he had a huge following. There mm. were there were Olympic athletes, there were world class athletes who used to source him out. Yeah, right. So this is the early stages of where I went, there's actually something in this. He did all this, what I call blindly or landmark-based. Okay, landmark-based is I put my hands on it. Yeah, that's that bony tubicle, that muscle or tendon. It's about there. I'm just going to prod and stick it in about there. Mm. So that was his way of treating. Very efficient. There are many, many, many people who do it and do it very, very effectively. So that was my first introduction to think there's there is something some, there's something here. So I came back to Australia and I, you know, I, I searched and I thought, you know, is there anyone doing it? Nothing. There was really here and there there were scatterings and whispers of different people doing different types of treatment like that. There was a practitioner here on the Gold Coast um, who was practicing a form of um, treatment called neural therapy. Again, you're treating the frequency vibration of scar tissue and the bioelectric field, he was just injecting a little bit of low-grade anesthetic with a little bit of saline mm. into the scars. Tonsillar scars, right? tissue scars, abdominal scars, caesarean scars, because people were developing peculiar symptoms. Mm. And he would he had a way of measuring the um, the the bioresonance or the the, uh, the frequency of different people, and he would he he's training being German, so he was a German physician. He was trained to understand the interconnection, and the principle um, was based on something done by um, a set of brothers called the Haneke brothers, um, and they inadvertently back in the twenties they had a sister who was a migraine sufferer. So inadvertently, they gave her an injection, and inadvertently, they, they I think they injected it into one of the vessels instead of into the tissue because I was giving her a little bit of local anaesthetic, and lo and behold, her migraine went away. And I thought, what happened? Hence, the science just started. Yeah. So th- this German practitioner, he was you know, doing snippets of it, and I thought, that's really interesting because he's using the Tromil, a little bit of the active vegan, and again, his background. So I, I, I gathered a little bit more interest and I thought, there's something in this. So I was then, you know, seeing some athletes. I was even seeing average people, average tradesperson. They're coming in with these joint muscle tendon problems mm. that I would get the joint functionally doing better and they'd still come in and say, I've still got whatever. And their only course was HCLA, hydrocortisone local anesthetic injections, mm. which work very, very well. Do it repeatedly, not so good. Uh, so then you can you can actually have HCLA, which is the, again, hydrocortisone local anesthetic, um, injected. But there are adverse effects as well as there are positive effects. As well as it being chondroprotective, it's also osteolytic and um, breaks down. It's foreign. Well, no, not that it's foreign. It actually has an effect on breaking down bone, cartilage, uh, muscle tendon, yeah, yeah. if it's done continuously yeah. too frequently too often yeah it yep. actually can and it has a systemic effect as well mm. so anyway so then a lot of these patients i said look the only option is you know a cortisone injection and i was like oh well you know i've had this i've had that i don't know and i go hmm, okay i can understand so all of a sudden i started to explore 
the idea. I went, um, you know, now when we go back to the my background, touching on that is uh, as an osteopath in this country doing injectables, people are like, what? So now we have to touch on that because um, listening to this, you'd think, oh, hang on, as an osteopath, you're not trained to do this in this country. I said, no, I'm not mm. in this country. So what did I have to do? My journey, postgraduate training started. So I went along and I did, you know, I learned ultrasonic guidance. I learned, you know, um, joint tissue, soft tissue injections. Um, I did emergency medicine. I did um, postgraduate courses in regenerative medicine. I did then study in um, uh, ultrasound, sorry, not ultrasound, diagnosis and treatment, but also reading MRIs and mm. MRI imaging. So from there, and my training still continues, is, you know, from um, the the work of the, the basic understanding in being able to use that and train to, to do it properly, um, started probably about nine or 12 years ago. Mm. And that's how I have now slowly built up a repertoire. So from there, I've, you know, I still i am involved in a, um, a teaching um, a learning group um, that are US-based. Um, um, I um, always ongoing training with them with either what we call um, live injection programs where we actually travel to predominantly Mexico. We work in the hospital system there and we treat real life patients. And that's how we train. Our mentors train us with patients who have real life problems who could never afford to get treatment, come along and get oh. treatment. To the US where I do a lot of cadaver programs. Yeah. Um, cadaver programs are you're doing the, the guided procedures on a cadaver. So you're actually learning the the guided technique. Yeah. You know, we're not just poking around and hoping we get it right. Where and it's it's very well done to um, diagnostic ultrasound training to um, um, functional anatomy to nerve um, um, nerve courses to um, train in how you diagnose with an ultrasound. Yeah. Can you do those courses in Australia? Um, some of them, yes. The majority of them, no. Now, the reason is uh, when I first started, I was interested to find out about a course, you know, you know, and I'll call, can I do a course? And the immediate response I got was, I oh, know because you're not a medical doctor, you can't do it. Mm. I went, okay, thank you. However, as I pointed out in the beginning, osteopathy in the US, as yeah. a DA, you're a medical practitioner. Yeah. I inquired, I traveled to the US, they consider me as a doctor an, over an, there. An equal, yes. Yeah. And I explain, and and I explain my, you know, um, my conditions in this country about you know what I can and what I can't do, and um, there, no qualms about entering the training program with them. And in the U.S., the work that I'm doing now is um, common, standard. You, yeah, yeah. DOs who practice musculoskeletal medicine, integrative medicine, all right, in the U.S. There are many of them, and they're the people who have trained me. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're, they're osteopathic practitioners who have come from a similar background. So what have I gone and done is some of the postgraduate training with a fellowship in you know, some work in regenerative medicine. So yeah. a fellowship is here for, for, for say, the layperson, a, a medical practitioner would do an MD course here. They come out and then they want to go and specialise. They want to be a surgeon. Well, they go and do a fellowship in surgery. Mm. So then to be entered into as you then you recognize as a fellow in that to do yeah particular yep. work well i did that in the scope of 
um, regenerative medicine, yeah. which um, covered everything from you know the injection techniques um, to the ultrasound guided stuff, and the um, the ability to then come and practice in this country um, was uh, when I came back and I started doing it, and I thought. You know, a few patients said, well, as an osteopath, you know, can you do this? And I went, that's a really good question. I said, I actually don't have an honest answer for you. So um, I thought, well, what I need to do is accumulate everything I've done. And I, I put it all together. I need to go to the registration board. Mm. And I need to explain to the registration board, this is my scope of practice. This is exactly what I do. This is exactly how it's done. This is the website. This is where we work, how we work. This is it. every little thing that happens in the practice or in my room was um, divulged. Um, the board came back and considered that I was working within the scope of practice of what I was trained to do. Perfect. So then I went, good, now I can honestly, you know, people ask me, are you, can you do this? I said, I can do this work in the scope of practice that I've been trained to do. Hence, I I touched on before that my scope of practice is very, very narrow. Yeah. The other advantages I have, and with some of the treatments that we use, we use a little bit of local anesthetic and, and we call that prolotherapy. So with the prolotherapy, we've got um, either a hypertonic or isotonic solution of dextrose or, or glucose. So in this country, glucose comes from sugarcane. In the US, it's known as dextrose because it comes from... Corn syrup? Yeah. Yeah. All right. So um, the, 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 the little... The, how would I say? The advantage I have there with many practitioners in their practice is I work um, with a medical practitioner in my practice. So everything that I do that that involves me using an S4 component is done under the specific guidance and supervision of a medical practitioner within the practice. Yeah. All right. So that that was also as a stipulation as to exactly what I do mm. and and if ever we, you know, I am using um, an S4, the medical doctor is always on board. Yeah. So I answered that. So, and there are medical some there are medical practitioners out there who have taken a little bit of um, um, how would I said um, an opinion about what I should and what I shouldn't do, and I completely understand that because um, they have no knowledge of what I'm doing and what I don't do, and what training you have or haven't done. And that's the big thing. Their idea is, oh, he's an osteopathy, and I go, well, you're right. However, with what I've gone on and done, and all due respect, I don't tell them because if they ask the question, I will happy to talk to them. There's a group of medical practitioners I train. All due respect to when I say train, they're clever guys. They've asked me to guide them through the stuff that I've been taught. Mm. Now, I've been fortunate because I've been taught by very, very, very good people. And that's what translates over when people come along and I would hope that there's an effectiveness about how I do it and how I go about it and that's in place because that's how I've been trained to do it mm. and, and I am careful to you know stay within the realms of exactly how I've been shown because um, this um, group they're, they're referred to as MSKUS um, um, on their you know board of teachers that they have MDs DOs 
even some DCs, which are chiropractors, mm. who have all been trained in the skill and art of regenerative medicine using ultrasound guidance. Yeah. And so that, that is a, a brief history of, of, of a little bit about, you know, how I've transitioned. So do I still use a mechanical approach? Yes. Do I still use a functional approach? Yes. That, you know, ultrasound guide stuff, is that for everyone? No. I don't use it for everyone all the time. But someone will come in, I'll go, I've got this, 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 and this. I go, that doesn't sound right. Let's just have a quick look. Mm. And I'll pick up things that the standard medical system sort of has let slip. Why? They're, they run busy practices. They've got yeah. seven minutes, 12 minutes with you. Yeah. They haven't got time to go, well, what's troubling you? That is, let's just have a look. Mm. Right. To actually go through and say, no, this is happening. And, I- and they're dealing in such like a vast, like, I imagine, you know, someone comes to a doctor and just says, I'm just not feeling well. I'm tired. What are you? Okay, man. The doc, the doctor did can't. you sleep good last night? Is your diet good. shit? Is you, how many times are you exercising? And it's like, you're just, as a doctor, like a GP, it's the term general practice. It's good. just so general. I just, there I are, don't assume that you could get the kind of results of going to somebody that's good. super focused. And like, the like I went to you with very specific hmm set of um problems my dad went to you with a very specific set of problems Stephen mm. gall very specific it, yeah. it makes sense why you know you can be and don't worry you're it, when they come in and I, I still get this people come and see me about different things and i go through and i go look i think you're in the wrong office mm. i said this is not my specific scope of what i do this is where i think you need what you need how you need and that's the road I think you should travel. Well, perfect example is when you saw Maddie, you said, I think you should go get an MRI and come back to me after you've had surgery. And then now yeah, he's literally booked in for surgery because mm. it's just like, well, nothing is going to help right. a shoulder that is torn to the point that it needs surgery. So in my early days as a mechanical practitioner, I would have treated the patient mm. because he had a mechanical issue there as well as a tear. Now, in my early days, I never would have been picked up the tear. And this is unfortunately, I, I think, it's not unfortunate. It's just the just way is what it, is. it is that, you know, there are many practitioners who think, well, we'll make a difference. We'll make a difference. We'll treat them three times, five times. The person gets frustrated. Mm. They're not getting anywhere. They're handing over money. They're getting no progress. So they end up in someone's office. That someone else will say, let's do an, a scan. Let's do an MRI. So, well, you're not going to get better. You've got a tear. Mm. So that person, well, why didn't that? Why person? didn't they just tell me that? All right, okay. So they didn't have all the skill set, and all due respect to them, it's because they, you know, we haven't been trained with that part of it. And so only now I, I pick up stuff, you know, on people that just have just been sidestepped, and no no fault for anyone. It's just that the system becomes so fast and hurried that some people just don't have time mm. to look at it. So, but I do, I'll go, well, what is it? I go, that doesn't sound right. Let's just have a quick, it takes me three minutes to just run through a quick scan of your neck and say, how's your thyroid doing? Um, oh, look, you know, I've been tired. I'm putting on weight. I'm doing this. I go, okay, well, you, you, that doesn't sound right. Let's just have a look at something. Let me have a look at the thyroid. Well, yeah, I'll write a little note. There's a few little things there we noticed. I've just asked a GP if you could just run a few little bloods that I noticed that you know, mm. there's, there's a, a little bit of abnormal cystic change on the left lobe of your thyroid. She's like, what? I go, well, you know, it's an autoimmune condition. The, the gland is breaking down. It's going to affect your metabolism. And off they've gone. Now, the 
the, she's been given advice, well, you know, you should change your diet, you should, should eat, you should exercise more, you should do. Well, she has been, but mm. you know, it's only the fact that I, and I had the ability because I've got the machine there to run probe over. It takes me less than three minutes. I pick something up and I say, look, I think it just it's worthwhile. Just go and get this checked out. Mm. And that's what I'll do. Whereas in the standard office, GP hasn't got a $70,000 machine sitting there that will really quite effectively show. I mean, there's mm. cheaper models, of course, but he won't. He'll go, well, well, let's maybe think about that. Let's do the various things. Whereas I've tried to get to the pointy end real quick and then go, okay, now that's the road I think you should travel. Mm. So that's how I've taken you know, some of the skill set in in, in you know, using a musculoskeletal approach and you know, coming down on an interventional approach, I will look at some things. I, you know, I, I am not a diagnostician because I haven't been trained as a sonographer or, an, or a radiologist who's, again, field. Very and narrow and field. And their whole expertise. day is they sit in a room and they look at films all day. Mm. All, right? all right? I spent my time to people turning up with... right acute pain, back pain, and all they want is someone to take the pain away, mm. right? And there are various ways that we can do that. So we all, you know, do have a little specific um, model where we fit. Yeah. So I, I try to exercise that and I try to be clever. And when I say clever, I try to be direct and give the person, right, at least uh, the best option to give them, some, if not, the direction of where they go. Yeah. Right. So sometimes I can't help them, but I can help educate them so they understand. And sometimes that, I walk out and they go, I actually feel better. In fact, I actually really now know and understand a little bit more about what's happening. Because mm. it's true, it's a black box. Um, and a lot of the times, people don't have any idea why. Mm. They've just got this thing and they go, it just won't go away. Why won't it go away? I go, well, let's have a look. So we, 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 we talked about you know, the diagnostic part of what, what I did, how I got to where I'm, I'm doing, the various scope of what I do. Um, now, if we talk about more of the advanced stuff that, you know, that I, I got involved in doing. So the, the I touched on the word regenerative medicine. Yeah. Um, I, I probably don't like that word a lot. Um, it's quite loaded. It is. It's, it's a big word. It, it, it's similar to, all due respect to those practitioners who call themselves holistic yeah, I struggle with that word as well. Okay, and I I like to be call myself more of a specific, orientated practitioner at certain things. As a as a people call themselves a holistic. Well, in a way, I don't call myself that because I do that every day. I actually look at the person. I go, well, what's actually happening? What are we going to do here? Why is this happening to you? Okay, well, let's let's try and find some things. I might not have an answer. Let's start searching. You know, a clever way. That gives you some direction where you're actually, you know, going from point one point to the next point, but you're getting some answers. Mm. And don't worry, there are people who turn up in my office, put an X-ray up because they think I'm, you know, I've got a miracle to perform. I put the X-ray back in their uh, sleeve, and I just go, "You're in the wrong office. You need to go and have a chat to a surgeon. I don't think you've got any other options." Mm. And they're like, "What? No one's ever told me straight out." I go, "Well." That's what I think. And I say to them, you can go from person to person. You can try all these various things. You can take all the different wonderful potions. I said, I'm looking at it from a point of science. Mm. I said, I'm going to suggest just travel the straight road. I think you'll find that you'll be much happier with the outcome. Mm. And, you know, I, I do that a lot. So, you know, being able to 
talk to them directly and just give them some guidance is sometimes a treatment in itself, even though I haven't physically yeah, done something yeah. for them. Yeah. All right. So getting back to the you know the concept of you know regenerative medicine, well, well, as I said, I'm I'm, I'm careful with that word, and I tried. I probably like the idea of preservative or preservation or, preser- or preservative yeah. approaches. Yeah. Because in in the idea of regenerating something, we can to a point reorganize a tissue field. Um, when we've got some health. In tissue that's there, the tissue we can help reorganize. Well, when you've got things that aren't there, and I'm going to throw something there, yeah, we're not going to grow it back. Yeah, all right. And that's the whole idea of regenerative medicine, and we don't. It's almost just a little bit disingenuous because, mm. you, yeah, you are claiming that something can be gone, and then you can put something in, and then it grows something yeah. back, which yeah. and we haven't been able to pull off in humans look, sometimes yet. Sometimes I say to people, "Do you and I want to grab some tomato seeds? We'll go and camp out at Ayers Rock. We'll throw them in the ground. What we want to watch our tomato plants grow." I think we'll be waiting there a little while because mm. we're not going to see any tomato plants. All right, it's just not going to happen. So hence my, you know, I'm guarded with using that word. There is an, uh, there is an amount of regeneration that takes place, but it t- it's a regeneration of abnormal, when I say abnormal tissue, tissue that's lost function, mm. that's still normal. However, we're reorganizing its tissue field. So in that aspect, we are reorganizing or regenerating yeah. the health of something that we've got a capacity to work with. If we've got nothing there, I'm not going to... So it's like, essentially, it's a dry, dead garden bed that you're just trying to put some water on and mm. being like, why won't these dead plants grow? You can Good. still see that the plants are there. And if you could regenerate those plants, those dead plants would then come back to life. But what we can do is take a plant that's kind of droopy and sad, mm. but it's still a green, alive plant. You put some water and some fertilizer on that plant, it can regenerate Good. back to a, a point. And now we can talk about the different mechanisms we have of doing that. So we, we talked a bit first about how we how I got involved in the whole idea of um, you know, using the approach of, I call it interventional or cellular approach to... Um, treating connective tissue problems. So, um, you know, early in the piece I talked about, you know, as a mechanical approach, we can get a joint functioning. We can change the tone of a muscle which is tightened or spasm, which has been torn and, um, you know, if someone's had an impact and they've got a dysfunctional segment. So mm. what's happened is the function in the segment has got locked up. So how do we get it going again? Come and give it a tap and get function back into the joint. That's a direct action manipulative technique works very very well as i said um for a lot of people it's a very very powerful therapeutic technique mm. so then we have the uh, the next one we'll go okay so now um a mechanical approach won't help this the connective tissue is disorganized so you know a little bit of i call it there there which is a little bit of a massage a little bit of rub acupuncture is a wonderful science a little bit of acupuncture which is you know stimulating some of that doesn't turn in a corner well on a cellular level maybe we need to look at this now Mm. because the environment is actually now disorganized so now we're going to say someone who's you know had a little bit more wear and tear on their body their connective tissue field that the joint of the environment is got disorganized Mm. so doesn't matter how much i try and organize your joint 
you're connected. There's something wrong with the tissue that is Good. involved in the position of that you'll joint. Keep, you'll yeah. keep turning up. So we need to then go a step back and I need to reorganize the environment that this is in to give this an opportunity. So am I going to fix something sometimes? No. But am I going to manage it? Yeah. How will we manage it? Well, if you have to come and see me once every six months or nine months, because this is just, 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 how do you feel about that? Mate, I'd be thrilled. Yeah. I think that that's probably uh, a good time to mention that what you've done with my dad, because dad has a, a i mean you'd obviously be able to speak to that more than me but um the the cartilage and the, 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 his knees fucked and it's not going to be not fucked again mm. at some point mm. like to make it as simple as possible like that there's just irreversible damage that is in that knee but what you've been able to do i'm not sure exactly how many well, times well, you when, see him. when he originally turned up he was just in insane amounts of pain like debilitating pain so now, just quickly, he's in no more pain today, but if we took an X-ray of his knee, it would look exactly the same as the day he arrived to me. Mm. All right? So the the issue that he had, he had an inflammatory response that could not turn off. Mm. Just couldn't turn off. Yeah. And tried various things that, you know, it, um, various procedures, all sorts of different things, and was just still couldn't turn off he had an inflammatory process that would not settle so very briefly now and you know we we, we will touch on how the various things that we do do influence it what did i do i just changed the tissue signaling of how his connective tissue was working Mm. what i how i did it i used various different products that we will get to to access that yeah but I just think that that is a gr- really good real world example of exactly mm. what you said. Like there's no difference in like his knee is now not magically better in no. an objective sense of looking at it on mm. an X-ray or an MRI. But the quality of life and the level of pain that he's in versus he's, not in, he's not in pain. is completely different. Mm. And But it requires this constant treatment. It's not like this... Uh, you know, this one time you're fixed now, go away, never come back. Now when we use the term constant, as, as I said, um, the word I use is manage it. Mm. I think I probably have seen him three times in about the last five months. Mm. And he now hikes, does his things, he does this, he stands, he's back at work, he's doing what he wants to do. Mm. He's not suffering like he was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was like, I mean, I spoke about it with, with Gawley when he came on the podcast, but like, I mean, w- when my mum would talk about would talk about it she'd say like you've given him back like a complete quality of life mm. like there wasn't the 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 old him like the the person that there was before this pain that was in his knees constantly like he was a different person he changed as a result of this pain it changed his lifestyle it changed his mood it would change his like view of you know happiness mm. and it was so limiting and i think one of the one of the biggest things was the goal that he had to do Cape York. Like he wanted to ride to the tip of Australia and back. Mm. And uh, Well, I still remember that. He asked me, I looked at him. I went, yeah, he'll be fine. And he just looked at me. Mm. And he looked at me thinking, I could see, I knew what he was looking. I said, I oh, know, you think I'm just joking. I said, no, no, you'll be all right. Mm. And he's still looking at me. I said, trust me. And he yeah, came he back. He came and, he, back. and he rode every single kilometre. Hmm. He didn't, like there was, I, I honestly thought that, I would be riding his bike 
more than I rode mine. Like mine, I, mine was even, I didn't even ride a registered bike because I thought that his knees was just not going to deal with it and that he'd I'd, my bike would go on the trailer and I'd ride his and he'd be in the car. Good. But he rode every single kilometre of that and it was honestly like a huge turning point for him. Mm-hmm. And then now, you know, he's mountain biking, he's done another trip up to Cape York in the time since. Like he's done so much he probably does too much at times given what he's got to deal with but the the point is is that you know i think yeah the the physical structure of his knee is not better but there was a way that that pain could be managed through you know essentially minor treatments that have given somebody a complete change of life what i did um i won't get into the specifics of it we'll we'll talk a bit about um, some of the products and how we how we did and what we did um but what i did wasn't grossly intrusive Mm -mm. wasn't painful initially it was a little bit uncomfortable um but it was simple approaches that um how and i said what we did was took away the way that his knee was signaling Mm. and that's the big part when you went back a step and and you talked about you know the quality of his life this is something that i see more now people who are in chronic pain and mm. um, i see less of people with this, the basic you know joint problems that you know, we just get some function then they go oh this is great and they just turn up if and when they need to i've got other guys in the office who do that stuff because that's not really my little focus anymore yeah so i tend to see more of these people who are struggling a lot more with pain some of those people I look at and I think they should not be turning up in my office. But unfortunately, they fall through the cracks of the medical system. Mm. I, I have some patients who come from some practitioners who query what I do. But the thing I don't understand is I said to them, I said, you query what I do. You don't really understand what I do. But why are these people coming from your office to my office? Yeah, yeah. Okay, that's the bit that troubles me. Okay, and and I, I've said to anyone, and as I said, I've been doing this interventional stuff for seven to nine years now. And I said, the day I ever hurt someone is the day I'll stop doing it. Mm. And I said, and I'm quite honest, and I tell everyone that that that's the day I will say I'm actually doing something wrong mm. that I shouldn't be doing. And because what I do, I, there's a, there's a, it's not just ad hoc, just for the sake of it. A fair bit of thought. Mm. goes into it and sometimes i will you know go through a very lengthy diagnostic process and work out i say look i'm not really doing anything today because we need to give this some thought and i'm going to explain to you what i'd like to do i need you to go away and completely understand what my thought process is so that you're actually on board with me because this is a little bit new it's a bit foreign you're not sure so Mm. that's how we'll proceed so I'm, i'm i'm cautious in that and as i said i'm not just you know come in and just do it for everyone the same Mm. thing and then coming back on you know touching the quality of people's life the the thing that i see is exactly that i see people come into my office with chronic pain who are depressed not because they're depressed people yeah it's circumstantial yep they're they're like and you can see it and (laughs) crazy it is like there are some people who've been in so much pain for so long i'll i'll do things for them and they basically almost sit in the office there and burst into tears. Yeah. And I'm, I just go, look, it's okay. I explain to them, you get one tissue per treatment, use it wisely. I, I do joke with them. Um, 
as they say, they, they just shake their head. They go, I just never know with you, you're either serious or, yeah, yeah. or, or, or the other way. But no, but and and that is because, right, the the length of time that that has yeah. struggled yeah. with it, that for someone, that's all they want. Yeah. They just want someone to just take away yeah. that bit of discomfort. Now, whether... Yeah, my know, dad's life revolved around how sore his knees were. Hmm. Like he was literally a, like a prisoner to the pain that he was in. Now he doesn't talk about it. No. And and that is and that is something. And I have some people that you know can be nine out of ten almost on a daily basis. And you know what? If I can get them to a three out of ten every day, it's like the whole world is different. Mm. You know, some people you can't take it all away, but you can help manage it better. Mm. And you know there are all levels of spectrum that that we're, that we do come across that way. So getting back to you know the, the simple concept of the, what we did with your dad. So we talk about some of the. Um, vehicles that we use it was all interventional it was all guided so in my office as I say to people nothing ever goes into anyone until uh, without me seeing exactly where it goes regardless there are specific areas I only treat and specific areas that I don't because I say to people I haven't been trained in right making a proper diagnosis as in a gastrointestinal issue or a bladder issue or a bowel issue I said, you need to go and see someone who just does that. I don't do that. Mm. Right? Talk to me about, you know, a musculoskeletal joint issue. I said, I'll put a probe on any any joint and I'll just dismantle the joint for you. Right? Um, but some I don't. So I, I do have my limitations. I understand those limitations. That my scope. Then we come back with the early piece. We 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 have some people that will let's say present with an issue. And the early the early stages, I might say, well, look, I need some information coming in with an, a CT and MRI with an ultrasound as I scan it is is something that I need. I said because the two bits of information really will coalesce what we can do for you. Some people don't have information. I said, well, I can I'll, I'll do a scan, but I need to get a bit more information because there are some things with an ultrasound I can't see. There are some things with an MRI I can't do. So I can't dynamically. Like look at things on an MRI, but I can dynamically look at it with an ultrasound that will tell me a little bit more. Then the vehicle that we use, the the simple bit as we talked about is prolotherapy. Been around for a long, long time, a long, long time. And the the interesting thing um, with prolotherapy, and I, there's another story that we um, that we have here is there was a, a program that was coming to Brisbane. And it was um, a DO that was running it, who I trained with and I've met on this um, with this faculty group because um, the faculty group sticks together with a close body and there are students who come and go. So he was coming to Brisbane. I said, great, you know, he let me know that he's coming and, you know, can he, can he, great to see you there. I said, oh, okay. I said, look, who's running it? And I'll just come along. And I don't just... Um, turn up somewhere for the sake of I I go through the process I said look you know I'll just pay my dues I just want to be a student come along sit with the group right because I know what this person does even though I know what he does knowledge is so accumulative Mm. that I can listen to him five times and I will say you didn't say that last time yeah yeah. I did you just weren't ready for it yeah and that's over time what I've found is 
I will go back and I'll listen to the same thing, listen to them talk over and over again, and there's always something that I will take away. Yeah, there's layers of information. And yeah. it's like you, I find that, like I actually started rereading the book that I'm reading at the moment mm. because I got to, you know, I'm three quarters of the way through this book. And then I just, there's concepts in there that were explained at the start. And it's like, I would need to go back and like, deepen my knowledge on the concepts that were presented at Good. the start because I I know that I'm missing stuff at this point and I think that that's I do that the same with you know some podcast stuff mm. that I listen to where it's very very informative and it's like you have in, it's in my opinion you have to listen to stuff you actually want to know about mm. m- multiple multiple times because there's just so much layers of retention and, and so much layers yeah. of knowledge mm. and that's all that happened so and then I thought yeah good so I, I called up the 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 practice. I sent them an email. It was a, an MD in I think South Australia somewhere who runs this little um, prolotherapy group. I think they call themselves. And I said, I introduce myself. Hi, I'm who I am. I said, I understand you're running, you know, a program here here in Brisbane. Um, 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 would it be um, an opportune moment? Could I ask? Could I register? Um, you know, to attend the program, please. I got an email back, very short. Sorry, you can't attend. You're not a medical doctor. I went, okay, no problem. Uh, I, I, I'm, I'm attuned to it. I yeah, it's on. not the first time. Yeah. yeah. So I just go, okay, no problem. That's fine. Thank you. Um, so I, I contacted and I said, oh, look, sorry, mate, I, I can't come because, uh, and there was silence for about three seconds, and he went. You could probably teach those people a few things. Mm. And I went, no, no, let's not. I, I said, the system here is very different. Mm. So now what's interesting is that the concept of prolotherapy, right, was started in about the late 40s. And is that the using platents? No, no, that's different again. Prolotherapy is using the hypotonic dextrose or the sugar solution oh, of a yep. high concentration. With the yeah. Um, yeah. anesthetic. Yep. So we use about 10% of, say, a 2% solution yeah so so we don't use the anesthetic to anesthetize the tissue or whatever the anesthetic is used because the the dextrose can be a little bit astringent but it also has an influence on the nerve fibers yeah all right so there's a little bit of the science in it but the anesthetic is not the doer of the work it's dextrose anyway the concept of prolotherapy came about from um 1940s late 40s it was a, a an osteopathic surgeon who started using it. So again, that's where, you know, a bit of the concept of prolotherapy was. It was known then as sclerosing therapy. Yeah. So when people had lax ligaments, they would inject the ligament. And this is what this gentleman did. He jammed his door fingers into a jaw because he was a surgeon and he lost the function of the fingers. So he started thinking, well, I've got a bit of laxity there. I've sprained, I've torn it. I'll inject a bit of dick, which is sclerosing and it will tighten it. All of a sudden he went, geez, my function started to return. Mm. So very simply, the concept of prolotherapy is we're injecting an irritant and there are different types of irritants that are used. Um, dextrose pull it out of my fridge it's cheap it's safe it's 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 about a 20 percent solution you can use 50 percent different people slight variations and when you've got a disorganization in a ligamentous soft tissue field either scar tissue either ligament either muscle tendon whether it's been stretched or whether it's been torn and yeah. it's partially torn and it's healed and fibrotic or well, when you um, inject this 
process or the, the solution into that area, it tricks the body into thinking there's a problem. The body mounts an immune response. The immune response recruits growth factors of the area. Now, that's an important point for the next thing that we talk about. The growth factors that are in the area, because they're circulating in the bloodstream all the time. They then And are they only taken locally? Yes. Yeah. That's an important point. So they, it's not like they just pull from all of the growth factors in all of your body and like... No, they're just so locally... they're, they're in, just within like a local that, area. That's circulation. Yeah. So if you've got poor circulation, you're going to have lowered amount of growth factors. Mm. That then realigns the collagen fibers. So whether you've got tissue that's lax or tissue that's tight, it's realigning what we call type 1 or type 3 collagen because that we can reorganize the the under a, the cellular the cellular makeup of it is different to type 2 collagen but it still provides stability to a segment mm. that's the basic premise of that type of therapy so i use that occasionally is that what i had in my hip the first time in my glute med tendon yes yeah Right. which when I did it, it's like, well, there's that strong flare. The flare lasts for 24, 36 hours. And all of a sudden there's that little process and we call it you know, um, three stages of a little bit of an inflammatory phase, proliferative phase and a remodeling phase. And it's about a three-week little window for that to go through a process. So we stir it up because we now have to go back and have a discussion about inflammation, the way inflammation works mm. and why we flare it up. So people sometimes will say, holy shit, that might work. I go, well, I'm sorry, but that's the premise the of... part of the process. Yeah. yeah. So in our body, we have two stages of inflammation. We have an M1 and M2 phase. Yeah. The first is the initial phase that has um, various cells that come in that will start de- reorganizing, chopping the joint up, chopping the debris up, rather. Sorry, that was wrong. You know, cleaning up the debris. And then it moves to the second stage of inflammation. The second stage of inflammation is the regenerative stage of inflammation where it starts to restore the tissue. So when you cut yourself, it gets big and red and sore. It's the first phase. The second phase, all of a sudden the redness settles down, but you get that like little thickening of tissue in the skin. That's the remodeling of the tissue. Problem is that people with more degenerative issues, which are chronic, your dad is a good example, he couldn't get out of the first phase of the inflammation. So his first phase of inflammation is the reactive, painful component of the inflammation. It's also destructive long-term. And so what stops a person from leaving that first phase into phase two? Chemical mediators. So your body is always signaling. It's called cytokine activity. Yeah. All right. So as one cellular makeup proliferates, gets bigger, it turns on a signal to tell another cell that we can actually now down regulate that because now it, I need to step in and do something. Yeah. So the whole idea of regenerative medicine is about tissue signaling. We're just changing the way or reorchestrating the way, it's probably a better word, to normalize the signaling tissue does. And we're going to get to that when we touch on platelet work and stem cell procedures. Yeah. All right. So we're using... The, the, the concept of just prolotherapy because it's simple, mm. right? It really is very effective. So this is like the base level of, this is like the initial proof of concept before yeah. you start to add mm. anything extra. And, and there's a reason why um, I, I will do this for a lot of people. Um, for some people who will come in, I'll say, look, I'm going to do both an interventional and a diagnostic little 
um, test for us here. Because if I'm going to treat that, and I think that's the most appropriate way to treat one, and I'll discuss why. Um, I say, I want to do this. You go away. You give me some feedback. You might say, gee, I was really good for a day, three days, and then it started to start to return. I said, that tells me we're on the right track. We've got the area. I can turn the receptors off. The problem is I don't have enough horsepower in there to, to get you around the corner. So mm-hmm. we, need to, we need to now change our little vehicle. All right. So when we've gone from the concept of simple, you know, hypertonic solution of treating muscle tendons, the other side of it is an isotonic solution of dextrose, about five, just under 5%. Isotonic means the same concentration that's in our body system. Mm. Now, I do that to treat nerves. And this is what I did with dad. Okay. I didn't go into his joint. I didn't poke around in his joint. Okay. First up with this, I actually treated the outside of his knee and I treated the nerves of the knee. So his area was so puffy and inflamed and irritated that as he moved and did his and, and, and did what he was doing every day, the nerves in the area were being irritated by the tissue in the vicinity. So his nerves became inflamed. Mm. As he was working, it's like the nerve was also suffering a Chinese burn. Yeah. So what I did is I came in with a little bit of the ice again, isotonic solution. And again, this is where we just, you know, is a hint of a little bit of numbing medicine because it also has a neurolytic effect where it actually will slow down mm. the nerve fiber impulses. Yeah. And this is now about a little bit of the 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 bioelectric field of how tissues work. Yeah. So we operate on about minus 70 millivolts, right? There is transport across a membrane of, of, of different... Um, um, different voltages. Well, no, the, across the membrane, I'm just... The sodium, calcium, potassium pump. Yeah. All right, so um, they, they carry charges to across... It's how cell carries across the membrane, and that's how impulses are traveling. Yeah. So what happens is when we've got a nice healthy potential, our threshold is here and we work here. When the voltage potential alters, our threshold is here and we function here. It doesn't make, doesn't take much to tick us over. Mm. Okay. So what has happened is he was in a he was in a state where he was constantly facilitated. His pain receptors never turned off. He was just in pain. The whole thing was angry and swollen. And it was constantly degrading because in that first phase of inflammation, we have something called metalloproteinases, which is one of the products of inflammation. It it actually comes and chews up and chops up and gets rid of the debris. It's phagocytic. It's 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 cleaning it up because it doesn't shift from the first phase to the fec- second phase. That initial phase, which is trying to clean up the debris. You know, you get a little bit of a cut, you get a little bit of a pus build up or something, mm. a little bit, you get a splinter and the splinter is broken down. Yeah. And you get a little bit of pus and then all of a sudden it pops out. Yeah. That's what they do. The problem is if it doesn't shift out of one phase to the second phase and they stay there, it doesn't know what's good and what's bad. Mm. It still will keep, right, going along and having an impact on, right, good healthy tissue. So it's constantly in an inflammatory phase. Yeah. So what I did for him in the first part is um, I turned down right the 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 nerve. So I treated the nerves, and I treated that with the term hydrodissection. So we don't poke nerves. So hydrodissection is a little bit like I've got a high pressure cleaner. I've stood back, and now I'm trying to get the 
the the wallpaper off your wall. I've just come in on a little bottom, a little bit of an opening. I'm squirting the water up the wall, and all of a sudden, you're seeing the wallpaper just starting to lift off the wall. But I'm standing back, and I'm actually using mm. right. A, you're not you're not with a brush. I'm not. Scra- yeah, no. yeah, yeah. So I'm using the <clears throat> the the physical um, component of the five percent dextrose as my tool to separate it using some pressure. Mm. Right. So then I've released the nerve. The usually there's that little bit of hint of numbing will quieten the nerve. Which and so what what's in like what's in the way that you're trying to um, essentially like pressure wash off that is causing the pain. Well, what I'm doing is I'm releasing the nerve from the tissue. Yeah. Okay. So there's there's the, the inflamed tissue has essentially it's, squashed the nerve. It's adhered to the nerve. Yeah. And so, then the response is the signals of pain. Yeah. Yeah. He's constantly irritated. His mm. knee was always red, was hot, was swollen. So I treated the various nerves. There's a variety of nerves. There's an abundance of nerves in the knee. So I turned them off and I said, good, this is our start. And then from the next step, I said, good, now we'll treat this with um, a more of a higher end product. So we there are ways of what we call treating the joints. And people do do it with some prolotherapy. They use hypertonic dextrose into a joint. And when we have a fair, you know, significant amount of arthritis, I, I sort of look at it and I say to people, look, with a mild amount of arthritic change, um, platelets are good. But platelets have their limitations when we've really got, you know, a fairly moderate to advanced degenerative change. It has its limitations. And so what essentially is arthritis? Like what does that look like in the joint? Um. As you, you probably haven't seen it because your joints are still pretty healthy. Okay, you're looking at looking at a terrain. Yeah. Right. And the, you can look at let's let's go this. You can look at an ocean sunset. Yeah. And on the horizon, it's nice and smooth. Now you're going to go into a dry, arid area, and you're looking at a mountain, and the mountain's got all cortical ridges. Yeah. The cortical ridges is degradation of the bone, which is the arthritic change. So it's just erosion, essentially. Yes, that's all it is. So the arthritic change is because our body's response is actually trying to to heal an area that's damaged. So it's actually laying down bone. Yeah. But what happens is the bone growth can become irregular. And because there's areas of tissue that have come away from there, when that happens, the little micronutrients that have to vascularize the area are interrupted so we get a little bit of cortical bone death so when we see it we will see the line as a quite distinct white thickened line which is irregular and lumpy and bony hence representing degenerative change yeah okay right it's a natural progression yeah right um if we've traumatized a joint the rate of degenerative change in that joint will accelerate yeah so yes with a good example is your dad's knee and his arthritis it didn't start three years ago yeah it started 35 years ago yeah and he just happened to turn up when he did because all of a sudden it's too much the word we use way back and talk with his compensatory system broke down yeah yeah right because now his environment had got like to a hot furnace his cellular makeup has been depleted. Yeah. The cells that are all keeping everything in check have gone, right? 
I'm out of here. I can't do this anymore. We're tapping out. Yeah. So now we get the idea of platelet therapy. Again, has its limitations. So I just don't ad hoc use it. There's a bit of thought that goes into how and why and how we actually apply it. So with the dextrose, you know, prolotherapy, we can just push a volume in and, you know, it will um, target some of those areas because that tissue that's damaged, it's got little markers on it, right? As it gets irritated, those little markers, recrucial growth factors, they touch there, we get another cascade of events. It's all tissue signaling. It's mm. all we're doing. The whole concept of regenerative medicine is tissue signaling. We're just, we're just having an influence on it. Mm. So next, the next step then, if we talk about platelet therapy, what I'm doing there is I've gone into the circulation, body circulation, and I've actually collected. So I've corralled the volume of blood, harvested the volume of blood, and now I'm going to go and concentrate those cells. Mm. And now I'm going to take those cells and I'm going to deposit them into an area that have become depleted. Now, with the um, platelet therapy we use, not all platelet therapy is platelet therapy because there are some things that are quite important as in, I think, the success of a platelet treatment. It's the precision of where you put the cells, what you're treating, how it's done, meaning is it done, when I say blindly, or is it done under guidance? I always think just under guidance is... Mm. Is the, Makes sense. is the benchmark of, I think, how, it, how how things should be done. Hence, why I did early in the piece, I went, you can't just stick something in there and hope I'm in the right place. Yeah. You've got to know where I think you're going. So the word precision is always, doesn't matter what area of field of expertise you work in, precision is paramount yeah. in everything. Yeah. So the, the, the simple concept with... Um, the platelet therapy is just pull this the, the simple th- concept is that with platelets we need at least you know one million 1.2 million cells per microliter of cells to trigger something we call metagenesis we'll get to that what that means is we have to now trigger or have a trigger in the body for it to move to the next level and that's the concept of how we trigger mm, so that it's not just stuck in stage one so we no because we're not we're going to do something different with the inflammation I'll, I'll get to that bit yeah but this is about how we get other cells to start to work so platelets and stem cells work on scaffolding that concentration of stem cells we need to trigger mesenchymal stem cell metagenesis we call it if we don't have that concentration they, they just lay Oh, yeah, dormant. yeah, yeah, yeah. All right? We need to get the concentration up, which is why I talk about not all platelet treatment is the same. Yeah, yeah. Right? It's like a minimum effective dose kind of thing. Good. Yeah. And there are some people coming, oh, I've had it, I've had it, I've had it. I said, well, that's okay. Look, I can understand. I will never negate anyone who's done it. And I would just say, look, I think there may be a more effective way of perhaps we can, we can maybe review this for you. And mate, 11 times out of 10, I'll do it and they'll go, no one, they didn't do anything like this. Yeah. Right? And I said, well, um, this is the, there is a different way to approach, you know, sorry, a different way to consider using a set of principles. And again, it comes down to, I haven't come up with any, I say to people, I haven't come up with this. Yeah. I said, I've been lucky because I've had very, very good people. To, now, it's taken me a while to go and find those people. Mm. And I've traveled a lot of the world to find some of these guys. And when I find them, 
and I'm like a little terrier. I don't lift, you know, it's like I'm on their ankle the whole time. Yeah, but, that's awesome. But these guys are so good that they will give you everything that they can. Yeah. You know, like one person in particular, Paul Tortland, an American DO. There's another guy called Al Kozar, he's an American DO, practices this musculoskeletal medicine. I sit with them and I feel like an absolute amateur mm. to watch those guys and just their depth. And they openly will just, they'll give it to you in a box and go, here, it's everything I got. Mm. Go. If you find something else that's not in there, let me know because I'm interested. Yeah, yeah. No, that's no, cool. Nothing's hidden. Yeah. Here in this country, I've found it's everything's a little bit... Yeah, a little bit more guarded, scarcity mindset yeah, kind of thing. Yeah. Whether they, they're too frightened to talk to you about it or they don't want to talk to you, oh, I don't know, but I don't get into it. Mm. So getting back to that idea. So the, the idea of the platelets, we've concentrated them. We've now got a, a number of cells that we do. And now what I'm doing, if you can recall, we talked about prolotherapy. We trick the body into thinking there's an inflammatory process. We recruited the growth factors in the area. Here, we're concentrating those growth factors. Mm. Ideally, we can get them to seven to nine times the base value. So platelets are usually about between 200 and 450 cells per microliter. Right? We'll concentrate them by, as I said, about seven to nine times, which, as you see, gets them up to over a million cells mm. per microliter which means that we can actually have a much better capacity to harness an effect where we're actually triggering the different cells which are those mesenchymal stem cells which normally circulate to then come into play so now what i've done is i've taken those cells and i've dropped them into that environment whereas previously with prolotherapy if the area is depleted it can only, only do so much, which is why for some patients they'll say, yeah, look, it didn't really do much for me. And I say, it won't for that reason. So then we've moved on to the next level, which is we've taken a concentrated amount. Mm. Again, what has happened is now we get a stronger flare. The flare, and I say to, sometimes I say to people, look, this will... Yeah, my hip definitely hurt that night. Yeah. Because I, I think I had the, the first treatment. I literally had like the what we're talking about, the first one. Mm. And then there was a, I definitely was an inflammatory response, but it wasn't hard to deal with. It wasn't. And it did actually help. Within 36 hours, you were like, oh, hang on, shit, this is actually a bit different now. Yeah. And then that that night in particular, like I was at dinner and I ended up just going home. I was like, how oh, many fucking hip hurts? Like I just wanted to go and lay down, like yeah. even sitting down. And I say so to like people, I, could, I could definitely feel it. Mm. And I say to them, I said, look, you're not going to like me for three or five days. Mm. I go, but I'm used to that. All right. And there's a couple of things in that. You know, I don't put any, um, when we use the platelets, any numbing medicine in there because the numbing will negate a bit of the platelet. Mm. There is a flare. We do control the flare. So sometimes we do work around that. There is some ways to do it. So when we now talk about the platelet component, and this flare, we can get the person's knee can swell, they can be in pain. I've had people for you know for five days, they're like, holy shit, like, you know, what have you done? It's the worst I've ever been, that's shit. Mm. And all of a sudden I say then, I've been the seventh or ten days, I got out of bed, and it's like everything is just gone. Mm. It's like a switch that just turns off. So now what we've done is this, M1 phase of inflammation. What I've done is I have, well, not I, the cells, and this is a little bit of the science of it, have shocked the immune system to trigger an inflammatory process 
which is over and above what the body has experienced. And it's like we've now pulled the reset button on the computer. Mm. And it now has the capacity to shift from M1 to M2 because we have restored the natural signaling and the body said, thank you. Mm. So that process is on its way. So because we've got a good concentration of cells in there. And now what we're working on, you know, cartilage, bone, um, things like that, platelets are limited in, as I said, moderate to advanced, connective tissue, joint, muscle, tendon, very good results. Tendinopathy is very good results. Cortical irregularities are really um, um, high-end, like degenerative degenerative changes in joints, limited. And and I'm the first one to, you know, explain Mm. that to people. I... You know, uh, if I don't think you're really going to benefit from that because of where you're at, I don't look. This is what we can expect. We can try, but I, everyone is a bit different because some people get a great result, others don't. Mm. So it, it it comes down to. So Gawley said that he didn't experience a lot from platelets, but stem cells for him is where it's at. Like he, yep. that completely changes the game for him. Yep. So that would speak to the nature of people just having these individual responses to treatment and now when you look at Gawley's areas he's like his joints are pretty sharp yeah right and again his knee something well i haven't just treated his knee i've treated a number of places um before i did it and after i did it his x-rays look exactly the same yeah right but he's now back out doing his things yeah right, pain free we're gonna we have to touch on that too so and as i said to you know Gawley with this it's not something that you can say, well, we'll fix this because you know some people come back within 15 months, two years, three years, and I redo it. Gawley's one. And I said, this does have a time frame because mm. unfortunately, I said, Gawley, we do wear out. Yeah. All right. I said, mate, that's the honesty of it. So, you know, will, and people ask me, will I need a hip replacement? Will I need a replacement? My Probably. Answer, my answer is, Yes, but if I can prolong this for you for five years, seven years, nine years, 12 years, 13 years, to do the stuff you want to do, right, that's an opportunity. Or do you go and do what we, um, you know, go and have a chat to the surgeon now. Then there's the the other side of this, and I say to people, um, if you're, you know, coming in and I can, you know, you're not an elderly person, I'm going to say, you know, you're in your 60s and 70s, and gee, you're really struggling with your hip and your knee. And I look at you and I go, you know, what do you like to do? Oh, look, I'm happy just to potter at home, do a little bit of gardening, this, that, the other. I go, just go and have the surgery done. Mm. I said, you'll be fine. You'll modify activity. You'll be out of pain. I said, you'll be fine. Now, the other side of it is person is really active. They want to do lots of things. They still love doing the hiking, the real, real rugged getting out there stuff. I go, well... You have to understand that if you travel that way, there's activity modification. Mm. You'll need to modify things for yourself to preserve the arthritis, the the arthrosis that's been, uh, sorry, the prosthesis that's been put in, mm. because otherwise you're setting yourself up that will fail and you'll have problems. So that's the other side of it now. That you know, I, I look at what does this person want from it, mm. and you have to that you know, I have that discussion with them, and there are many people I've just said, just go and do it. I said, you'll be better for it. Mm. And sure enough, they go and do it. They remember say, oh, thank you so much. It's the best thing I did. Yeah, I go, I know. Yeah. Because for what they want, it's perfect. Mm. And so you have to understand you're a perfectly healthy person. You've just got a simple mechanical problem. Mm. 
And I think that a lot of people that would be listening to this are people that would have injuries from, you know, racing and act- mm. these outdoor activities that, that might be going through a lot of pain and discomfort from those things and you know a knee replacement a hip replacement is not an option like it definitely not an option to my dad definitely not an option to Gawley mm. so I mean that's where it's sort of but I still have an honest discussion with him mm. and I say mate we have to talk about it because right I don't know right how long we can do this for you because we can only do what we can do mm. yeah because as I said to you in the beginning I said mate we do wear out and I said with what you've done I mean if, if if we put some of his fills up to the average punter, they'd look at it and they'd go, is this guy still walking? Mate, like I said to you, he is a rugged, rugged, fierce competitor. Mm. And that's all he knows. So that's that's the platelet component. So th- there, are, there are many people that I've had great success with it. There are some that I, I, I you know, as time goes on, I'm learning more and more and uh, you know that wonderful word is experience mm. that people will always ask me my opinion and if I don't know I go and ask a peer I go mate I've got this this and this and I'll send them off some films like, this is what the person what I'm not exactly clear on what I should do and I'm guided by them mm. and I'm guided by what their experience has been so then that's what's nice about the little community that we've got is that when I don't know I go leave it with me I need to go and ask a question mm. and, and there are some great you know, even um, you know, knee and hip surgeons who I've become acquainted with over the years who are fantastic because they're all for the idea of preservative therapy. Mm. And they talk to that. They, I will send them a scan. I say, look, I've got this person who's this, this. They've, they've come to talk to me about the idea of using, um, you know, an interventional approach. I'm, I'm still a bit cautious about which way to go for them because I don't know, you know, if with some of the findings what do you consider and you know a lot of the times the response is look mate the 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 preservative approach and this is why i don't call it regenerative the preservative he says mate uh, i think it's great for this person this instance has got that i think that's a great idea give it a go i'm here if it doesn't really work out let me i'm happy just send them up i'm happy to have a look at them yeah because that is like last resort there's like nothing else that you can do past that and i say to people you know let's explore for some, don't have an option. It's mm. not even a discussion. For those in the grey area, I say, look, let's explore. I would explore every avenue you can so that if you get to the end of that road, you've got a clear right, mind. You can look back without. To mind, yeah. I can say, I tried it. This was the only option. I do have people who have had things done. And this is no disrespect to any of the um, people who have gone to see because things do happen. And we can't control everything for everything to be perfect for everyone as much as we'd like to yeah but things do happen and you know some people say i wish i never would have and i look i hear that and i think i can understand that and sometimes i say instead of trying to change something maybe change the way you're thinking about something Mm. instead of trying to change something on you because the outcome may not be what you want it to be Mm. So that uh, is a sensible way to look at it as well. And there are those people who will just want to go in and do do a procedure, and there are those who will give it much more consideration because they will give those things some thought. Mm. All right. So then if we go to the idea of, you know, from platelets to a stem cell procedure, um, we, in my office, we do probably about three or five of those a month. Um, the platelet procedures, I probably do about 25 or 27 of them a week. Yeah. Um, so it was a 
to give people information of what the actual procedure's like. I had it done <clears throat> last week and basically it's like an hour appointment. Um, it's about 285, I think, That's for right. the platelets. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, yeah, go in for an hour. Um, we did uh, drew some blood and then the ultrasound is used before well before you even took the bloods the ultrasound was used to just sort of decide exactly what you wanted to do and then it was two injections with the two different types of platelets Mm. Um, so when we say two different types what what i do in this instance there's a platelet poor component and a platelet rich component yeah with the platelet poor component i may treat some of the neural tissue because it's platelet poor we, I don't use platelets around nerves. It's a bit too astringent and I don't want to flare it. And what we call, I use the platelet pore to hydrolocate, meaning that I will get to exactly when I want to go, where I want to go and I will locate it. And if you notice when I locate it, I push a little bit of volume of fluid, a little mm. bit of volume of fluid, and I'll almost go, that's where it is. And then I will swap out to put the syringe with the the rich part, and I just drop the volume there, and then we go to the next area. Mm. So that's that's how we use. In a lot of places, we'll throw away the poor part. Mm. I utilize that, and I combine that with some um, the the hypotonic dextrose. Yeah. Or I beg your pardon, the isotonic dextrose, mm. right, to give it a little bit of volume because there there is still you know I'll bite it about maybe you know a, a fraction of growth factors in there but there are electrolytes it's still great stuff mm. so I utilize that and when I'm treating you know an area I might treat a muscle tendon I might treat an enthesopathy which is a little bit of degenerative change in tendinosis in the muscle tendon I may treat the neural tissue we may treat the little cortical margin around it so it's not just about oh I'm going to stick something in there and push a volume in there and hopefully mm. you know it's like a fishbowl and it swims where it should go it doesn't work like that because it won't go where it should go. It's going to go to a path of least resistance. Mm. Where And the path of least resistance is generally it's not, probably where the, not where the pain is. Where the problem is. Yeah. So, yeah, so we had uh, that lot of injections, um, which was relatively pain, like painless. They're, I'm fine pain-wise. I, I say to a lot of people, they're not painful. They can be a little bit unpleasant. Mm. And that's just the nature of it. And because there is an astringency about it and it creates a flare. But that is part of the process, yeah. Of what we're trying to do. But yeah, so then we did the um the platen rich um solution that mm. was then put into the outside of my hip. That one was more uncomfortable to do um in terms of like sensation. Um, and then that definitely caused uh, the response that you were talking about to the point where I like pretty much wanted to get home from dinner essentially Mm. Um, and then I probably shouldn't have walked to dinner but um, and I probably would have said don't walk to dinner (laughs) yeah yeah well I just mess that one up but um, but yeah so uh, the the first injection that was over like my pubic bone I had instant relief from like the pain that I was Mm. like presenting especially noticed in it in the mornings and then i'd say that's the pain slowly come back a little bit it's nowhere near as strong as what it was um but yeah that's just to give people an idea of that particular procedure because i can speak on that from experience so on on adding to that just to help clarify so it can come back a little bit because um as we treat the area it's still undergoing some change. Mm. So ideally, when people say, when do I come back? Some people, I, if it's a really aggressive arthritic area and you know, a muscle tendon, I might say, look, I might 
treat this. And when I use the word aggressive, it's not a physical aggressive. It's the number of times that I may treat it. Mm. I may treat it two or three, three or five times in as many months. Some people I'll see once and I say, you'll be okay. Yeah. Let's see you in three months. Let's see you in six months because it is a process. Yeah. For some people, um, they say, I didn't really notice anything for about three or four weeks. And actually now you're right. It's a bit, Mm. it's a subtle change. And one thing that you said before that um, really stood out just in given my own personal experience is that um, when you said that the fact that it will give you relief shows that you're on the right track. Mm. And that's definitely what I did take away from that treatment is like that all of the symptoms of the pain like waking up in the mornings in pain that they were gone like mm. completely gone for the first yeah like four days that that was not there so that definitely shows that that, that is the right area that is the right mm. thing and, to be treating you know and again all we used there was some growth factors harvested from your circulatory system you know with the, the platelet-rich component. Now, in that, you know, we, we've got, you know, things that are called, you know, monocytes there. And, and this particular kit that we have, um, that are various cells in that that have a specific role. So, and, and to understand that a little bit better, when we go to the next level, which is the, um, we call it a BMAC procedure, bone marrow aspirate concentrate, that's a bit more of an in-depth, quite more involved as myself as a theatre nurse and as a medical doctor. Mm. on board when we do this I, um, I'm the person who's doing the guidance because that's my little skill set the doctor is there you know, doing the procedure with me under my guidance so I've been trained to do it Okay. Um, however as I talked about initially with the limitations of my scope and this is done in with the work of a medical practitioner so there will be and this has happened people question they're doing what uh, some people have got things mixed up about what we do and how we do it mm. but that's just to clarify that's how it's done in our office so you know the whole thing is done under guidance and under you know medical supervision that's one of the interesting things about the treatment too is like i can watch the tv the whole time mm. and see the just even the differences in tissues like obviously i don't know how to read an ultrasound but you know when you can physically see on the screen this looks different to this this is healthy this is unhealthy well, well something i do for a lot of people is i have the three screens in my office because sometimes positionally i've got to do different things because this isn't when i do it it's not just i don't just stick someone once and squirt a whole volume i maneuver mm. around to do different areas so i have the screens up and the experience is for the people some people don't like to see it but generally People find it interesting because they actually can understand, mm-hmm. okay, that's my problem. I get it. And it makes sense to them. So in, 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 I've got it, you know, as I said, set up like that. So um, in what you touched on, when, we, when you talked about um, watching the different areas, I don't go through an anatomy lesson with people, mm. but I actually just try to give them the idea we're going to look at the landscape. Yeah. Right. If, and the question is, oh, you can see that, you can see the landscape is different. Not one person has ever got it wrong. Mm. So it, it, I say, don't worry about, you know, what's on the screen. Look at the landscape, the different scales of grey, the grey scale. I will give you, a, I do a little tissue inventory. You know, it, it takes me not even seven seconds. That's that, that's that, that's that, that's that. When I look at this here, when I look at that, what do you notice? And people say, holy shit. Mm. God, look how different it is. Good. Now you understand right 
there's normal, no pain, looks nice. And I say, even if I put this up there and you had no idea what it was, you could tell me that one looks right this way and the other one looks that way. You can tell me which one looks like a nicer landscape. You don't need to know much no. about photography to know when somebody's face is in focus or the background's in focus. Like There you go. It's, and, a, it's an innate ability. Yeah. And, and you, you just see it. And as I said, no one has ever got it wrong. Mm. But I do that because, you know, I spend that little bit of time just to point out this is what's happening. Because the majority of time people don't have much idea about it. Because like I said, it's a black box. Mm. So, so when we talked about the the cellular component of what happened is then when we go on to the, the, the bone marrow aspirate procedure, it's a lot more of an in-depth procedure, meaning we borrow into an aspect of the bone. Marrow is aspirated. Do you do that with just a needle or? Yeah, it's, it's called a trocar. It's called a trashidi trocar. Jam sheety trocar. So it, it, it burrows in. It's a specific device that we do. So what happens is the uh, the doctor numbs up the area, um, the little area, the periosteum, and it's as, as bizarre as it is and how many we've done, people don't actually find that painful at all. Really? No. Like as you just burrow into the little quarter part of your bone, you, we go down about four or five centimetres because into a particular part because... Um, there are different parts of the bone where we access the marrow from. So as you go in and then you're, you're actually constantly almost rotating to come out and you're drawing the marrow rather than just what we call peripheral blood. So we're getting a, a good harvest of, of bone marrow. Then that marrow is taken. So what's in the marrow that is better than what you can harvest from blood? Um, hemopoietic and mesenchymal stem cells. Oh, so the bone marrow is stem, stem cell. cells. Yes. Okay. So in the blood, there is a, a small amount of mesenchymal stem cells, maybe less than 1% that you might harvest, quite negligent. Mm. Right? There are some there, but as I said, quite negligent. So in the the next one called BMAC, it's the bone marrow aspirate concentrate. So mm. what we then do is we take that marrow amount, amount so we draw up about 60 mil. And then we there's a there's separate the special separating devices that we use. So it's a whole collection kit that comes. The kit that we use is, is referred to as an M site kit, an M site physiological kit, which I you know with understanding the science and looking into the science and as again I've been you know trained um, in, in in using it. Um, it's probably the one of there's about two or three you know real um, um, benchmark kits to use, and that's one of them. Yeah, and it is because we can concentrate the um, the volume of marrow, and we get from about a sixty mil draw, we will get about seven to eight mil of marrow concentrate, which is you know about seven to nine times the base concentration. So now we've got hemopoietic and mesenchymal stem cells because we've taken out of the marrow. The hemopoietic is you know um, 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 component of the um, stem cell which produces a lot of the blood cells the mesenchymal stem cells has an ability to produce um, multi um, um, multi-lineage cells and i'll get to that to actually right, treat the connective tissue which we want we want to do but in that also is because we're taking a little bit of um, um, blood with it we're actually getting platelets and this is what's clever about this system is you've got platelets and bone marrow aspirate concentrate in one so as i talked about platelets and marrow actually have a scaffolding effect so what happens is the marrow and the sorry the stem cells and the platelets are actually dancing together they actually do need each other to to to, to trigger the the response we want to get and to trigger the word metagenesis so now what happens is when we, we we collectively put this in the 
um, the areas or the regions of interest. So in the way that I would do it is I'm much more precise where I won't just put a volume in and squirt. I will go and treat that ligament. I'll treat the meniscus. I'll treat the MCR. We'll treat those part of the nerves. I'll treat right all the various components. So it's not uncommon for me to stick someone five or seven, seven or nine times specifically. And it doesn't. I don't push a volume. I may, may need half a mil there, a mil there. We don't need a volume of cells because we've got the concentration. Mm. Right? If you don't have the concentration, well, you need a volume. Yeah, yeah. So I can specifically target those areas. Mm. Now, this is now the special bit that, that, that happens. It's not the mesenchymal, as I said, the stem cell that does the work. <laughs> I'm wrong. It does do the work, but it's not like... It's oh, the instigator. Good. Because what it's doing is, and with with the platelet, the platelet is then triggering a bit of genesis, so this process is ticking along. All right? In the background, it's just going to tick along for the next 6 or 9, 12, 15 months. Mm. So what happens is this then triggers off something we call progenitor cells. Progenitor cells are the myocytes, tenocytes, osteocytes, adipocytes. Um, I think I've covered most of them. That then trigger the area to start to again reorganize so the when i say the word reorganize i don't use the word regenerate because all it's doing is it's changing the signal of a cell to go and start to orchestrate this is what we need to do so the flare and the inflammation is important because what happens is the the way that it signals is cytokines because this is the way our, our, our body just talks is cytokine activity is the way that cells communicate. So markers come up, those cytokines trigger little different things. So those cells all right, are actually all earmarked of where they have to do and go and do their dance. Mm. Um, with a platelet procedure, I generally say to people, look, you'll get a flare for 36 hours, three days, five days, depending on right, the, the nature of it the age of your tissue sometimes, the, the level of degenerative change in the tissue, which we, we, we term as tendinosis, and a little bit of enthesopathy is just a technical term that I think has now um, replaced the concept of tendinitis. Mm. Um, and then um, it's not such a strong um, response as a stem cell procedure, and I'll, I'll explain why. And then I say to people, week or 10 days, just ease back into things, three, two to three weeks, resume normal activity they get a little guideline on you know um, pre-procedure post-procedure what we can do activity a little bit of rehabilitation for a stem cell procedure i sort of say to people look i'd like you to do for about the next three weeks ease back little to not much at all um five to seven weeks start easing back into activity Mm. because the process is a little bit slower Uh, the concept of it's different the concept is the same it's the, the environment that we're trying to influence, we're, different, we're influencing on a different level and a different scale. So um, generally, I, I would either put them in, like knee people, I put them in a brace and for that three or five days, and there's a particular reason um, that I've come along and I've put cells into an area. So the cells will lie, so they burst. So when they burst is when they're releasing all their various things. They do this over three or five days. So what I try to explain to people is I need you just to let this do its thing because by you being much more active, all you're doing is you're pushing the cells, the cells around the body back out. Yeah. 
it's not a detriment but my attitude is if we're going to do something let's give it an opportunity to have the best effect that we can mm. um, send them on their way I check on them in about six weeks three months just just see how they're progressing you know they get a whole information pack as you, you normally would uh, we've got everything in place um, you know, if ever there's a hiccup or whatever sort, um, the GP that's on board, you know, there's some pain medication we give them for the next three days because it can be a little bit unpleasant. Again, the level of um, work we do on, say, like a stem cell procedure with cortical irregularities is we may treat that cortical irregularity, whereas with a platelet treatment, we don't because I don't have the vehicle to make the real difference. However, on the next level, I've got the vehicle to make the difference so the level of precision goes up a notch. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's some things that we do down here with the basic dextrose that it's very, very global. It's And works quite well for a lot of people. Yeah. Right? And some people, you know, do really well with it. The next one is platelets. And I explain to, you know, patients that, you know, five or seven dextrose procedures is equivalent to about a platelet treatment. Because that's you know you know the dextrose is cumulative because we're trying to get growth factors mm. back in and it's it's repetitive to a to a stage. The platelet is less so because we're dropping um, the growth factors in, um, and then a stem cell procedure is again. I would say to people, 12, 15 months. See ya. I said, uh, you need me. You know, um, you let us know if you're having an issue. Let us know. Otherwise. We're not going to even touch that. We mm. just let the environment dance. And for a stem cell procedure, it can be up to three months before people notice a difference. Mm. Um, platelet procedures, we tend to see you know, changes a lot quicker, but that's when it depends on what we're working with, and that's our limitations. Stem cell procedures have limitations as well, and there are some people who, you know, who are coming in hoping. And I say, sorry, there's no hoping if, mm. you know, the... the, the um, if we haven't got what I think we require, I, we won't proceed. So, you know, we liaise with myself and the uh, the practitioner. And people ask me the question, I'm so what sort of success rate do you have? And the honest answer is, oh, about 100%. Mm. And they look at me. That's because you've been very selective as the people that you're doing the treatment on. Exactly. And the other thing is, is we, we try to understand what's your expectation. Mm. So if your expectation is you're going to walk out and they're going to be brand new, it's the wrong expectation. So generally I say, I don't think it's worthwhile us proceeding because you're going to be disappointed. So mm-hmm. for you, it's going to be a failure. Um, other people, if I can get, you know, 3%, 20%, 30%, it's a success, mm. right? Because as, you know, I explain to people, I can make a 5 or 7% difference to the function of your area for you to have about a 70% improvement in your symptoms. Yeah, yeah. So that's that's sort of the, the ratio. We don't need to make a 70% improvement for you to feel 70% better. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We only need to make a subtle, hence coming back to your dad. I didn't do much, mm. but a lot happened. Yeah. And I just turned some things off for him. Yeah. All right. And that's where it was progressive. You know, there, there, he was a little bit of a challenge at times, um, but it was progressive. And I say, look, we've got to be a little bit patient. And I say that to everyone. So just be patient, mm. all right? It will right, do its thing. Uh, so how many people, or like how prevalent is this um, platen and stem cell treatment? Platelets. Platelets. And, yeah. and in Australia, like how many people are sort of doing this? And is this still so, uh, an emerging industry in Australia? Um, I, th- I think it is, and I think there are a lot of people doing it. I, I don't know 
about them very much because being trained as an osteopath, I'm not in the medical system. Mm. So these would be considered more medical um, procedures. Um, and the the medical doctor in my office also doesn't really get out and promote that. Mm. So I, I think um, the practitioner is on board doing it with us because um, they see the, the our knowledge of musculoskeletal medicine and their response is, your knowledge of musculoskeletal medicine is just so much far superior than anything that we're ever taught. And my answer to that is, well, that's because... That's because that's the area of... That's yeah. what we do, Yeah. right? So, you know, someone turns up with, you know, various conditions of things... They don't turn up in my office, and people that do, I tell them they're in the wrong spot. Mm. Right, so we have to then understand that we have our levels of, you know, and that's why I, I'm very particular that I explain to people my scope of practice is this. Yeah, right, and that's all I do. But I just, I think in general, like even the people that I've spoken to about my treatment, whenever mum and dad talk about the treatments that that dad had like it this doesn't seem like general knowledge to people and this is one of the reasons why i wanted you to come mm. on the podcast as well is that i would like more people to understand that there are other avenues and ways to manage pain and oh, you know are. potential um to you know kind mm. of i guess not fix is maybe the wrong word the, but to, to look, give you relief the, in the, the the thing i think in this country is with the treatment of platelet therapy stem cell procedures it's it's still very new and it's green yeah. i think and paul tortland who i mentioned he teaches um this at something called toby it's the orthological biological the no the ortho biological institute um, which teaches regenerative medicine to practitioners from all around the world it's held once a year in well i think it was in vegas last time and he's been doing it since early 2000. So he's a real innovator. And that's about when platelet therapy, stem cell therapy started to really, mm. you know, take off. Now, you know, here in this country, what's interesting is that if a trial has been done and there are some research studies done, um, done, not, not all the information is considered. Some of it's discounted. Mm. So I don't understand that you can have articles that are being done around the world, but they're not considered relevant if they haven't been done in this country. Yeah, right. Uh, I, as I said, I don't get into that. I don't understand it. There are trials being done here all the time. Um, you know, they're, they're working out, um, you know, what it is efficient for, what it is not efficient for. Um, so that that's still quite, quite new um, in, in the making. And, and I think that's shifting all the time. Yeah. And, and I know that there are many people who do um, do these procedures um, how they do them and you know the protocol yeah. they use I don't know because I've only been yeah. taught and um, when we did the training we actually had um, a DO from the US come out to my office and that was part of um, in the in the regenerative program that I did um, there was of course the um, um, the the intellectual component that we had to learn which is the science but it was more the practical part then the practical part was done where over three days we had a number of um, cases yeah and we were okay um, trained in how to how to how to deal with the cases how to deal with an emergency how to deal with um, um, issues that you know can occur 
can go wrong, etc., things like that. So um, in, that's how we were dealt with in our training, and it was partly from that one of those practitioners from yeah, the group that yeah. came out and oversaw that. We couldn't get anyone in Australia because yeah, it's just that it's no not one, here yet. No one. I didn't know of, and the practitioner in my office didn't know anyone who had the expertise who could come and mm. come and do it. So this person, as I said, is a is a, a lecturer, a practitioner, and a trainer. Um, you know, involved in that um, um, teaching faculty. So who can benefit from these different levels? Like one of the obviously the people that listen to to this show in particular, like it's very active, a lot of motorsport people. You know, like I'd say more action sports type people. Um, what kind of injuries do you think can benefit from this? Where you know, is it? people that like you've said scar tissues ligament stuff muscle stuff like i guess can you give an overall scope mm. um obviously everybody's different and there are specifics but you know who should if someone's injured currently and listening to this you know what is your advice to those people and what can it help all right so the first thing with an injury i think you um with, with anyone that comes in um it does take time yeah. and Things, they, things do take time to heal. Mm. Um, the first one is going to be getting the right diagnosis. Um, whether the treatment is a surgical intervention, whether the treatment is to immobilize it, whether the treatment um, is um, physiotherapy, um, the, the guidance will be different for everyone. Um, from this perspective of treating um, with a, you know, if we call it that regenerative model, if we use that term loosely, um, anyone who's suffered an injury, right, can benefit using it. Doesn't, but it depends on what stage I think that injury is at. Mm. Meaning, someone who's had a surgical procedure, who come and see me, and I'll say, "Oh, look, I've had this procedure done. Is there anything you can do?" I said, "Yeah, go away and um, needs to heal. Give it six weeks, three months to heal. When your surgeon has um, basically discharged you, that he's happy with anything, then let us come to get together and review it." And I say that because that's my attitude because I say that because I think everything takes time and is a process. And I think if you're under the care of someone, let that process of due course take place until you move on to the next one. When you start to jump um, you know, back and forth, I think it can become confusing. And if there's an issue, then the concern of who created an issue mm. is another issue. Yeah, and then you've just got like in any like scientific theory the more variables that you add the more ways that you would have to test to find cause and effect so as a uh, you know in my office i see you know and i've seen we've done a stem cell procedure for as young as someone is 17 years of age yeah who was a, a professional athlete who injured his knee yeah um i only saw him about three weeks ago and we did this procedure for him probably now three or four, five years ago. So he was um, a rugby player, um, just school game, scrum drop, standard, little bit of flexion, abduction, external rotation, twain. Yeah. Um, he strained hit the ACL, strained the MCL. There was no internal derangement of the joint. It was just more so a little bit of internal bleeding. So we know there was a slight tear. Yeah. But... Um, basically the integrity of the joint was good so then you know the discussion you know went on um, with the parents and they they ended up finding out 
about me. They came and chatted to me. And the process we went through was the integrity of it is good. The issue that you've got is a little bit of laxity. The pain is going to come from right some of the fact that there's laxity there and some of that neural tissue is now getting irritated. He wanted to still go on and play at a fairly high level. So I suggested this. They, they actually asked me, would it be an option? I didn't suggest it. I actually was discussing, look, PRP is a good way to treat this. And they said, well, what about? And I said, well, that would be the best option. Um, we went ahead and did it. went well. And I said, saw him three weeks ago. And his comments were to me, he says, mate, it's the best it's ever been. Mm. And he's still going along. So um, wonderful result for him there. Uh, again, um, the thing that I don't like to do or talk much about and the word I use is a hero story um, because everyone is different and that's how we have to base base mm. that on. Um, but in, in the sort of people who will benefit, um, as I said, the, the main people I've done this work on are people with shoulder injuries, elbow injuries, wrists, knees and ankles. Yeah. Um, I haven't, but there are colleagues who, and I've assisted with them, who do... Um, injuries with the cervical spine and the lumbar spine. There's a wonderful interventional radiologist here on the Gold Coast um, who does intradiscal platelet injections. Um, again, um, I'm probably not set up in my office enough to do that because his high-end equipment, it's done under CT guidance. I think that's you know a, a much more um, definitive way to do it because you're, you're dealing with structures that are a little bit more complex with nerves and stuff like that more you've got more things there to deal with rather than more the peripheral joints so um i do i have recommended that people you know attend there and people who have you know let's say from younger to older people who have had you know a disc injury who may not have neural symptoms but have constant back pain that is unremitting that will not be settled no matter what Mm. Um, and that's where we look at other variations of what's going on intradiscally, and and that person is very very well tuned. He's a big fan of it. So I've you know I've discussed it with him. He's he's a he's um, background is he's a radiologist, an interventional radiologist, and he's a huge fan of it, mm. which is promising because he sees the benefit in it as well. Yeah, um, he's got his guidelines as to when he'll do it and when won't he do it, and that's yeah. why I, you know, I comment people that have got neural symptoms. He's a little bit more guarded because there's more going on. Yeah, yeah. So um, um, again, there is no age bracket, as in. And people that I would consider this for and not for. Um, as I said, the youngest I've done, as I said, in the practices have been 17. I've done platelet treatments for, you know, people as young as 16 years of age that have done, you know, muscle tendon um, tears just from playing sports who play fairly high level sports. Yeah. I've done it just from the average person who's just a, um, a social sports person to um, people who are high-end sport people. Yeah. Um, so there isn't really a, a general guide. Um, it's it's a way of dealing with pain um, that people aren't having success with in other methods, um, and it's a way and something that they can explore. Yeah. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be like a new injury or a fresh injury. Like, do you think that you can get benefits from like, let's say my shoulder, for instance, like there was a tear in my rotator cuff, but they, the doctor said, basically, I was lucky that if he said, if it come out the front and you had that tear, then that's like a hundred percent you need surgery. Mm. Um, And then he said, if it come out the back, it's literally a 5% that you need surgery. It's yeah. just the nature of which way it goes. It. But it's like can an injury like that, because it still gives you a bit of weakness mm. and a bit of soreness, something like that could uh, benefit from 
stem cells, even if it's like an old injury? I, with going straight to someone coming in and going straight to the concept of using a, a stem cell procedure, I, I don't always go right there with them. I, I actually will say, look, I think the platelet component, mm. treating a soft tissue condition in, you know, let's say a younger person who's young, healthy, got really healthy tissue, I think do very well. And there's also the economics. Mm. So, you know, uh, a platelet procedure can be a few hundred dollars. A stem cell procedure is many, many thousands of dollars. Mm. So um, there is a, a difference in that. And I also, you know, try to sensibly guide people the right way because um, there has to be a cost to benefit ratio. Mm. Yeah, um, if you get a similar benefit from multiple, even if it's three PRP mm. sessions as opposed to one stem cell yeah, session. So um, the, in that instance, um, there are some high-end sports people who have just said, no, that's what we want to do. And, and mm. they don't want to dabble in things. They just want to go straight to that because for them, their window is small. Mm. They need to get back to what they're doing because that's what they do for a living. Mm. Um, but no, the, the, the answer to that question is I would probably always um, come back to treating it simply, as conservative as I can, and just watch the progress. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, can you is it is it the type of thing uh, just to try and give people context that are out there that may have had this or that and you know things I've been struggling with for years or mm. a new acute things uh, is it the kind of thing where um, you can use let's say in the the um, example of a knee where you have like you tweak the knee to the point where you're taking time off you might not need surgery maybe it's mm. like a meniscus where they can get away without using um, like surgery as an option is that the kind of thing where or even if it's borderline you think that you can go in with like a platelets treatment um, or a stem cell treatment to try and avoid surgery um, and have you seen instances where there will be you know people can avoid these surgeries because of um, procedures like this or it's a again it's, I, I know it's, it's kind of general a, yeah it's a point that I'm always cautious with because there are instances where someone has done something and I will say, look, uh, um, a surgical consult I think is a good idea. Mm. Um, I'm not a surgeon. I don't see enough of it to give you a, a valid opinion as to what an expectation may be. So a consult is, I think, worthwhile. And then they can come back with information from a consult. They can come back with information from what doing a... Um, a, a regenerative type procedure, interventional procedure is, and then then a discussion can take place, an informed discussion about what is a better outcome. Mm. Um, there are, as I said, many surgeons who are fans of the integrative approach. There are many who will tell you it's a waste of time. Mm. So there's still, in within the medical system, there's still conflict within themselves about what is better and what is not. So I don't try to add fuel to that. I just actually will you know, try to guide someone with a little bit more knowledge and mm. I always tell them that a little bit more knowledge is power as in what you can do for yourself and ultimately you need to make the decision what you think is right for you but you need to be equipped Informed. with the right information yeah what was the point when you when you were working with the Tour de France guys was there anything in that initial kind of discovery of the you know the platelet style treatment that they were using that really piqued your interest like were there were there 
Well, the, to, to go back at um, platelet style, and I understand what you're saying, but um, active vegan is deproteinized bovine blood plasma. So it was interesting, like this person, he was way ahead of his time because mm. platelets only became um, well, well used because it started off being used in the horse industry. Mm. That's where it, it basically came about. And it seems that a lot of these um, therapeutical interventions have come from the equine industries. Um, so the he, I was impressed with the fact that he was using an interventional approach um, where there was no adverse effect. He used he used amples and amples. As I said, he has a doctor's bag full of this stuff. And you know, we as I talked to him and he told me about you know how often he does this and how many procedures he's done. And it made too much sense to me from a scientific basis. So mm. when when people come and talk to me and they want to do something and you know they're talking about the different remedies, I my answer is, well, let's look at it with a little bit of science. So when I do something or when I'm talking to someone, the science has to make sense to me. Mm. And if it doesn't make sense to me, I start to question, so is there anything in it? Or, or isn't there? Do we look at exploring it or don't we? Everything he did from a, the element of science made too much sense to me. And it, it, it sort of, for me at that time, was like this veil had come mm. back where all of a sudden I went, that's what I'm missing. That's, and all of a sudden flashes of different patients would go before me to go, that's mm. what was happening. And that's what I didn't know. That's what I missed. But I missed it because I didn't know about it. So I couldn't tell them because I was unaware of it. Mm. And the only option they had was right, a HCLA injection or a surgical um, consult with surgery in mind. There was no other gray area for them to explore. Mm. And once again, you know, I, I, I reiterate to everyone, I said, it's not for everyone. Mm. But to be... To be informed about, you know, a way of you actually making a decision to get the best benefit for yourself is sometimes not a bad option. Mm. And what about like where are you at in? Let's just talk about like the future of you know humans and as we get more and more advanced in terms of you know the procedures that we can do. Like, I mean, I lived in the US for almost ten years. So to me, none of this stuff is a surprise. Like I've seen all of this stuff. I've heard constantly about all this stuff. I know people. And originally that's what the plan was, is dad, we'd we'd spoken to a a company in Vegas that did stem cells on people that I had known. Mm. And the plan was that dad was going to fly to America to do a stem cell treatment in Vegas. And it's like, so that's where this, this sort of whole deal even started. So it's like... Australia might be behind the times, but in terms of, you know, what- I don't, I don't think we're behind the times. I just think that you know places like the US are much more progressive, mm. as in um, what they're trying to do for themselves. Mm. That's that's I think all it is. So um, here in this country, I I probably don't really have an opinion because I only do what I do um, from the knowledge base that I've acquired. And if someone gets a benefit and is moving forward, well, I think the outcome is great for them. Mm. Um, and the way that I've been trained, um, I, I use those 
you know, those set of values, the principles and all of those things to apply it every day to each patient. Mm. Um, I think technology will keep going, but there is a limit with 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 everything that we do. Mm. Um, you know, the, you know the the idea of um, research into regenerative medicine is um, always going to move forward, and always always we're going to see um, um, ideas that are more progressive mm. um, coming forward. But you're right in the in the US, we actually do see it. Um, the the whole concept is much more progressive. Yeah, and it's more normalized already at this point. You know, like I just feel like the general public, there's less mystical, not mystical, but there's less, well, you know, like... Look, the, the, there's an example I'll use is there's a type of treatment that, that um, we use in this country. And I know there are three or four machines in this country, in Germany. Um, sorry, there are three or four practitioners using that form of treatment in this country in Germany there's 27,000 practitioners mm. using and these practitioners are medical doctors so we I look at it and I think well we're not talking about people who come from various forms of of, of medicine of either you know the allied all allied world or the allopathic world and um, these are right trained medical practitioners there's four here there's 27,000 there there's got to be some merit in it somewhere, mm. but it hasn't translated here yet. Yeah, um, and that one I, I I can't answer. The only thing that we can then you know digress a little bit and we talk about um, what happens here. And we talk about the drug companies, who runs what, who controls what. Mm. Um, does that have an influence? I don't know. I, I don't know the answer to that, but we, we we would then start to question, you know, how is how are we influenced in how progressive we are becoming in certain areas? Because there are some fields that we are streams ahead of, mm. of other countries, and there are some streams where I start to wonder, well, not much is happening there. Mm. And people would say to me, why why hasn't anyone ever told me about this? Why hasn't anyone? Why have I not found out? I go, I don't know, because there's not a lot out there, and the, the honest answer is there are, medic, there are many practitioners, medical practitioners, who actually don't understand mm. platelet therapy. I have some patients who go along and they will talk to them and say, look, I've gone to see something about that. And the practitioner's words are, oh, I don't know anything about it. Mm. And, and there's nothing wrong with that because they can't know everything. Yeah. Right? But... It 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 says it is. But it shouldn't take away from the relevance of it just because a general practitioner doesn't no. know about it. Yeah. No. So and and I think that's where you know in the US that happens less because I, I think and I use the US because that's probably the biggest progressive market, and I know in the faculty group that I'm involved with we have practitioners from US, the Philippines, Taiwan, um, China, um, Japan, um, Hong Kong. Um, so it, it is also gathering momentum there um, they love it over there they can't get enough mm. right? and it's interesting I find that we attend these programs um, that I do and I'll sit around and they will quiz it's almost like they're just hungry and hungry for uh, knowledge, knowledge. And, yeah mm. yeah what what do you think about the future and and things like um, like human growth hormone and like testosterone replacement therapies and in terms of I guess you could I don't know whether I mean, me being ignorant could put them in like a regenerative sense in terms of if you've got a certain level of 
things that are in your body at a certain age and then they diminish as you get older and then you start to you know replenish what was you know lost essentially mm-hmm. like do you think that we're going to move in a direction where that becomes more common as well generally that already is common you'd, you'd say that is common nowadays yeah. so and i think everyone's chasing you want to call it a little bit more longevity and i'll yeah. of youth that won't happen yeah the way that because um, in, in in my office the medical doctor it works in a field of orthomolecular medicine where hormones are right prevalent that's that's yeah. that's, that's the field that you know the person works in um and, and i think working that way in my opinion it's not about um lengthening our life it's the quality it's improving the quality yeah right so we our clock is and our in my in my attitude our script is already written mm. right however our journey we've got an opportunity to how good that journey is or is not mm. right can be influenced by our chemistry mm-hmm. things happen to us for some people certain levels diminish certain levels hiccup the gene pool you know what we've been exposed to stress what, what we've done all those things they have an impact on us so all the things that you talked about and and i have been exposed to them all um so i understand them reasonably well um is it will make a difference on the quality yeah um it's not winding back the clock but it's going to make your time and and if and if someone's going to get a greater quality of their energy levels are still kicking along what they're doing you know when you were 35 and when you were 65 um well, that's that, that's that's an expect. Uh, how would I say that is? I think a, a goal which is not unrealistic. And and like that that was going to be one of my questions because I mean me personally, like I'm 32 and I still like I look at Gawley and I that's I want to mm. be like that. I, hopefully, I want to be like that with better better tissue and better joints yeah. and 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 Gawley look talking about him is he's he's someone that's very uh, mindful of what he does to himself what yeah, he puts doesn't in, what, drink. what yeah. he puts in himself so he's mindful of that mm. the general population is not mm. then we can also you know talk about you know his mindset right mm-hmm. he, you know the gene pool he's come from all those things that aren't actually you know in our control yeah um, but it, it doesn't mean that we still can't thrive because we all have a weak link yeah if we can grab that weak link and make that weak link one of our stronger links, well, then we're going to find that we're going to generally do okay. Yeah, and and so I guess that was going to be my question is like, do you think it's worthwhile? Because I look at myself and I'm like, I would I want to actively invest in my body for the future mm-hmm. to maintain as long as I can possibly hang on to the highest quality, uh, the highest possible quality of life. And like, mm-hmm. do you think that it's worth you know looking into those um types of treatments and i guess too like you can't just go like oh i want i want to go down that road if you're not eating well sleeping well ex- mm. you know you can't treat your body like a piece of shit and then expect that if well, you there are those basic things that are just they're just a standard but it's like if you're doing all of those things right it, it, do you think that where these treatments and these hormones are at now is it worthwhile pursuing um based on i guess the science that even exists now um definitely is the the thing that you'll find is that what i've seen in this country um 
There's a negative attitude towards it. A little bit. And there are there are those who will, um, you know, some members of the medical system will just discount it. Mm. Um, and I, I always say, look, I can understand that attitude. And I say, you know, in doing various tests, I think, you know, sometimes looking behind the veil of a standard test is not a bad place to, mm. to start. Um, the, the thing that we see, there are many practice, practices around the country who practice that sort of medicine. Um, the, the thing that um, you know, I, I touch on in everything I do in the practice, I make it affordable for people. Mm. Um, we all have to make a living, but I think you'll find that there is, when you start to get into that concept of um, um, longevity, mm. um, um, someone's always selling something. Yeah. And unfortunately, some of that stuff tends to be um, unaffordable for some for some people because that's what it's made out to be and, mm. and and it would be good if it was a you know much more affordable and much more easily accessible for people um, maybe they might be more aware of it i, I don't know because you look you know like it's funny people will be like oh jennifer aniston looks so good at 40 it's like of course she does mm. she's on a cocktail of like the most expensive shit and like i'm saying Jennifer Aniston, let, all right, let's take her name out of it, but Hollywood actresses and Hollywood actors. I know doctors in America that do it to those people. Everybody, right. everybody, all of the CEOs, all of the big businessmen. And, and, there's, and there's two reasons. There are people there that it's easy accessible to, and the second one is... They've got the money to do it. Yeah, it's expensive. It. But, and I mean, that that's one of the, yeah, that's one of the things where it's, it's interesting, and I think that you know, to spread the message of like, mm. it is available. There are things that are out there now. And it's like, if you can, that's one of the, the things that I appreciate about you so much and, and having treatments. Like I'd spoke to one of my best friends, his knees fucked. Like he doesn't need surgery, but he's a jujitsu coach and he mm. trains every single day. And he's now having to not train because he gets this inflammation in his knee. Mm. And I was like, mate, you need to go and get these PRP shots. And he's like, Oh, it's too expensive. And I was like, you didn't even ask me the price. Hmm. And I said, it, it cost me $285. That's not too expensive for you. I know that. It's your job. And and that's not the, – the cost in the – you know, when we talk about the regenerative components, the cost in the um, – um, the PRP and the, um, the stem cell procedures, the kits aren't cheap. Yeah. The, those, those M-site kits that we have, they don't come out of China. They come out of the US. Mm. And they are um, – they're priced accordingly. Yes, and they, they when you when we see what goes into the actual kit that comes out, um, you can see what the cost is. Mm. It's it's a process, so that's not expensive. It's not that you know in our office we charge a lot because we, some of that stuff is it's just not cheap. So hence, um, you know, in a lot of the times in my office, what I do is I say, well, I have a standard procedure fee. Basically, the patient just pays for the kit. Mm. That's that's how we've we've run it, and you know we we we've tried to make it as I said affordable because I know the benefits there because mm. there are many people who ring and say oh look I'd like to and they go oh it's this much and I go oh okay I'll have to give it some thought. Mm. I know you'll get a benefit from it, so let's have a go in doing it, mm. and you know, and just you know, finishing up on something that um, um, you know someone once said to me some time ago the two hardest things in life. Is going to be this. Is going to be making money, hanging on to it, and maintaining your health. Mm. The two hardest things, and the the one thing that we lose sight of, and you know, I, I, 
being exposed to you know, people who come into my office every day, they never tell me that they're feeling good. Mm. Um, and the thing that we see is when you lose an aspect of something in your health, you just can't, you don't get it back. Mm. And that's it. And then people will spend a lifetime, and I've heard this, and they will go, they will do anything, they will pay anything, whatever it is, if they can get it back. And I just go, mm. there is no coming back. You know, when you lose it. And so hence, the hardest thing is is to try and just keep ahead to maintain those little things and little things that people can do for themselves. You know, be a bit more aware of, you know, your environment, what you do. You know, things happen to us, right? Get them looked at, get them checked. There are things there. There are some people who this this I was too busy. Mm. So that's um, unfortunately that's just how we're going. Everything changes. Mm. Yeah, I mean it's this this injury for me has definitely been one that I mean, I'm like almost five months since I crashed and I'm still in daily pain. I mean, the last week has been the best that it's been since the injection. But I mean, I'd fucking give anything to go back and just not ride that day because I can't, it doesn't seem that, you know, no matter what I do at the moment, that pain is there. And like, this is just a thing that I'm going to have to deal with. And I think a little thing like, oh, only if I would have. Oh, there's a trillion things I could have done differently. A trillion, That's and a I mean, it sucks. You can't. You just. Mm. You honestly can't even think about it because mm. it's it's over. Yeah. But you know the the investment that I want to. You know, and it's been something I think I've been doing for a while now. Like I've, I think before I even turned thirty, I was like, no, nah, I'm going to be fit. I'm going to be this. I'm going to be that. I'm going to be flexible. It's hard work. It is, mate. It's hard work. Really hard work. And there are days that you know something small happens and you just get down on something a little bit, and everything else goes out the window. Mm. And all of a sudden you go, gee, that actually was hard work. Mm. Then all of a sudden you're a little bit down on that. Are you motivated to get up and train the next day? No, you don't care. Mm. You just lose perspective of different things. Your mindset changes. Your whole attitude changes. And and the things that you know people will, will sometimes say, go, you hear just go, well, just snap out of it. Mm. They don't get it. That you don't just snap out of it. Mm. You, you, you physically can't. It's it's as it's, as you start to become entrenched in that, it's a little spiral that just keeps mm. going, and to to catch yourself in it is really really hard. Mm. And that's why I think that um, even Shane, my buddy, I was talking about with the sore knee, like he'll he'll tell you like he he trains for a living, like as a as a coach, and he's like, man, when when people have this like their their life sort of feel like they've gone to shit. He's like, as a you know, he's a coach. People talk to him and come to him and tell him their problems. And he's like, man, do the simple things like sleep enough, drink enough water. There's all these little things that end up, you know, setting into motion what you would, you know, call like a, a good life. And it, and it comes mm. in the the maintenance of things before they get to a point where they're a problem and then start to be a detriment to like your quality of life. Sometimes, sometimes I say to people, you just got to activity modify. As we get older, mm. we do that. When I was somewhat 55 now, um, when I was 35, I was doing stuff that didn't even think about what I was going to be like when I was 45. Now I'm 45, I'm going, I just can't do that anymore. Mm. And now and I'm going, I just, it, it just went physically later. Mm. And that's the reality of it, and that's the nature of it. So, you know, you maintain what you have, you modify as time goes on, you be sensible how you do it, and at the same time, just be wary of, you know, 
just maintaining those simple things for yourself and generally I think people will do all right so we'll um we'll wrap it up i think it's been very educational and uh it's definitely been beneficial for for myself is there anything that you think that that we've missed or any information that you'd sort of want to leave people with obviously nearly talk for three hours so we've given given people quite a bit of information but um yeah anything in in particular you think we should um, i thought no i think we've covered pretty good we've gone through as i said you know a little bit of history of you know where you know where i've come from so i'm only basic things on some of my experience everyone will have a different experience there are many people with different opinions um, yeah, there'll be people who may listen um, you know to what we've talked about and, uh, and of course um, some will be in agreement some will not be in agreement some will have a variation of a theme and it is uh, is that and i and i my answer to that is uh, the way that i approach things is um, i have a model on how i might work on things my model is not right for everyone and um, it's not right all the time it's a model um, and when someone's got something else to come and offer us to you know improve that the the direction of that I'm the first one to say hey I think that's a great idea let's do that so um, you know we've, we've touched on some of those things and we've touched on the idea of you know regenerative medicine what people can do my little scope is you know dealing with um, generally more so you know pain pain management today there's a, a way that I do it there are other pain um, doctors out there that do things differently my attitude is none of us are wrong um, none of us are more righter than the other um, we're just trying to offer a variation of themes to different people and because different different things work for different people mm. and I think you know and, and I'm very uh, understanding of that um, I'm guided by I'm actually guided by people more so than than me guiding them mm. I just try to give them and educate them about some of the options that may be out there and I've probably been fortunate enough that I've been exposed to some of those things that people never have so um, no in, in that respect no I think we've covered that life's journey is that yeah perfect and so how can people get in touch with you and your clinic if they want to undergo any of these procedures um, I would probably um, not that I don't advertise you know what we do I would probably get them to contact yourself um, through yourself and um, you can just pass on a um, our website address yeah um, uh, the, the the website address is goldcoastosteopathic.com.au and um, everything's on the website and um, the information that we talked about a lot of what I talked about is on there uh, the 30 odd pages have been written by me yeah over many years so I've talked about you know things on it that for the lay person for the average person and for the scientific person um, you know it's all there they can you know mull over it if there's some things that they um, want information on uh, you know a lot of the time I, I try to make myself accessible to people um, I've had instances where I just need to chat to someone it's almost like it's 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 a therapy session as opposed to but it's almost like all I want to do is chat to them and trying to reach this person yeah like yeah. it's it's I'd have more fun you know more luck trying to you know finding gold and down at Ballarat and one of the rivers than I have talking to this person oh, yeah, yeah so you know all I would say is you know just email me um, you know if they've got and, and I do this for people that you know they say oh well can can you help me can you do this and I say look email me some information if you've got some scans of things I'm happy to have a look give me a contact number I'm more than happy I just give people a you know a call back and I say look this is where we're at a brief discussion and I say look this is what we can do um, go a little bit further give it some thought make a time and just we can come in and then go through it and and that way 
you know, I've started, you know, they haven't, they haven't waited to get to see me um, and I haven't dragged it out into something that, mm. you know, I can give them a quick little insight as to, you know, what's happening to them, maybe why, and give them some other options. And you can, I can say to people, look, I don't know if I'll be able to, you know, um, give you what you're looking for. Maybe try this option. So I, I try to as a self, self make myself accessible as I can. Yeah, perfect. Well, yeah, like I said, I, I appreciate everything that you've done for for my dad um, and helping mm-hmm. him out, and then the uh, the process that we're going through to try and get me back feeling good. Um, and yeah, thanks very much for giving us your time, Turner. It's pretty much your day off, so good. spend three hours talking has um, been awesome. So thank you so much. All right, cool, mate. Nice talking. Appreciate it. Bye.